The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Dangerous World edition of Matt's Great Show over there. The Great Deception hosts the Monday Night Master Debaters every single week. And I know you know this, but uh, man, I I really wanted to do a little addition to a, a conversation that him and I had with Thomas from uh, Paranoid American, which is a really cool uh, comic book and coloring book and children's book and sticker. I mean, it's just like a cool company that taps into art and, you know, obviously comedy and all this stuff to bring to you really interesting, super unique content. And I really can't say enough about how cool that company is. And Thomas is an extremely knowledgeable dude. Um, fun to talk with. He, if you haven't heard him of him or you're not familiar with him, he was on, um, the Lucius Trust episode towards the end with uh, Shannon and I. So it was a fun, He's he just knows a lot about a ton of topics. Him and I were trying to kind of work on a KKK episode as well because he sent me this massive long, I don't know if it's a file or it's a book or what, but he sent me this this thing that goes into the kind of occult history of the KKK and it's incredibly fascinating. So check out his work, Paranoid American, um, and you know about Matt. I mean, I work with the guy every week, so we know um, uh, about his great stuff over there. And I'm working on an extremely foreign topic to myself, and I wanted to kind of tease it here a little bit and also talk about some of the things that I wasn't 100% sure if it fit in with this whole thing. But it's a it's a topic that I'm kind of, again, really unfamiliar with, but... Uh, I think that it's going to be something very interesting here in the upcoming months. And I'm hoping that starting this conversation will get others to look into it. And, um, you know, if you find information that I don't find after the full episode comes out, I'm open to talk with this stuff about everybody. Um, it's incredibly interesting stuff. And I've, I'm talking about the, sorry, I'm multitasking here. I'm talking about the Russian cosmists. 
I don't know if you've heard of these guys before. This isn't communism. This isn't uh, cosmonauts like I thought it was when I was first hearing about it. It's Russian cosmism. It's, it's akin to transhumanism is what it sounds like. And I promise this is more relevant than you could possibly imagine it being. It, it seems that these people control some of the highest levels of society. And some of these you know, extremely influential people, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, um, Bill Gates, some of these people seem to embody what a Russian cosmist would would uh, embody, right? You have the idea of colonizing space, um, you know, as crazy as it sounds, you know, reawakening the dead, right? And there's a lot of documents that the CIA has, and um, just throughout history, there has been a significant, uh, but very, very subdued part of our elite. Um, they don't talk about this in the open at all. And I think that that we're going to come to realize that a lot of the elite really follow this, this, this way of thinking. So... What cosmism is, it's a philosophical and cultural movement that emerged in Russia at the turn of the 19th century and again at the beginning of the 20th century. And it's supposedly an idea against transhumanism, but I think that it's really similar to the Republican-Democrat debate, right? Where these, these seem like two sides of the same coin, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing. Um, again, these people believe in awakening the dead, removing death as a whole. And I think that this is a bigger agenda here when we see the vaccine and all the fears that come from that with where it's going to kill everybody off. I think what it's going to do is sterilize people. Um, it's going to alter our DNA, which goes, and, and I want to talk about this more in depth, but it goes into what the skull and bones thing is with the 322. Um, I had just heard this this morning, and I figured I'd, I'd have to tie it into this whole concept of cosmism. And um, it, it's kind of crazy to think that we're so distracted with the idea of dying from this vaccine. What it's going to do, according to my research and what I've come across over the last few days, is it's going to sterilize People are obviously going to die off because, uh, you know, the population is going to come to a point where we're really scared that humans are going to go extinct. And then science is going to come in and save the day by making it so that the people that can't reproduce are just immortal. And it sounds impossible. The Bible talks about this. The Talmud talks about this. All kinds of religious texts talk about this idea of immortality and it being a, a net negative, I mean, uh, I forget, I know Colorado Dank, a buddy of mine, you guys have all heard him on my show many times. He's pretty educated with esoteric ideas of the Bible, and he mentions uh, there will be a day when you'll pray for death, but it won't come. And this is out of the Bible. I, I, I never act like I'm educated when it comes to the Bible, but so I, I can't quote like where it's from or anything. But um, it, that's an interesting concept. Being immortal sounds cool to a good amount of the population, but if you're killing everybody off in a way where you can't allow them to breed, that would be equal to killing people, right? That, that's keeping the population low. You're not going to grow the population. Humans are going to become fewer and fewer in numbers, and then at a certain point, they'll step in with this immortality thing. 
I don't know when this will be. I feel like we would all be dead at that point. But what's kind of scary is you would still be included in this plan because they want to reanimate the dead. And there's this very interesting idea with hallucinogenic drugs and psychedelics being some sort of embalming mechanism. Um, and this is, you know, this is from a website called uh, Zaboku. And I'll read through it here in just a bit. But before I forget, because I'm not going off notes here, before I forget, um, I wanted to mention the idea of the 322 with Skull and Bones. Um, again, believe it or not, not a scientist here, but I was reading that every human has two separate strands of uh, 22 piece data. And that's what makes up the double helix. Okay. 22 and 22. Now you have your, um, that obviously equaling 44, you have your 45th and 46th chromosomes, which make up whether you're a man or female and then something else. Okay. So your base pair being 44, 22 and 22, the third strand of 22 pieces of DNA is going to make that triple helix, that artificial intelligence integration or that that bio uh, chemical, I don't know exactly what the term would be, but you're introducing a third 22 strand DNA into that double helix, making it three 22 strands. That's what the double helix um, addition of 22 pieces would mean. Instead of 22, 22, you have 22, 22, 22, or three 22s. That's what Skull and Bones does. We always think it has something to do with March 22nd, and I'm sure it does. They seem to do a lot of, uh, there's a lot of weird shit that happens on March 22nd. Just last year, we had that weird, uh, you know, COVID vaccine is snake venom stuff, right? And that dropped on 322 from uh, Stu Peters, who puts out good content. I'm I'm not going to lie, his content's really provocative and interesting stuff, but a little fear porny for my taste these days. Still still check them out and still check out people like Mike Adams every now and then just because I like to hear what these people who I feel are being guided to say certain things. I'd like to see what they're going to say. Um, but I, I just found that kind of an interesting coincidence here uh, that the 322 having to do with our DNA and it's been there. I mean, you see the skull, the crossbones and the 322 and it's been there for a long time. Um, this goes back, I believe, to the Soviet cosmists. And it's not a stretch to think that these Eastern establishment people like the Bushes are connected to the Soviets in some way. They pretended they were from Texas. They pretended they were Republicans. They're pretty damn liberal. And you see a lot of overlap between liberal administrations and particularly theirs, the Bushes, uh, whether it be H.W. or Poppy Bush or W., uh, who I have a really great, uh, you know, doll of here. It's pretty funny. I found it at a used bookstore in the box and everything, and it's a talking George W. Bush, just dumber than sin, but, you know, it's fun stuff to have as a collectible. Now, I bring I bring all that up with Skull and Bones and all that just to say that these old orders of elites um, seem to have some sort of connection to this cosmism, and there's this kid that brings this up in a video and I'm going to save that for my full presentation on this, but talks about a lot of stuff and talks about how they, these cosmists tap into shows like Joe Rogan's who is an admitted transhumanist, right? So why would cosmists, if they're anti-transhumanism, why would they tap into a show like Rogan's according to this kid's theory? This isn't my theory. This is someone else's, 
why would they tap into them if if it's not two sides of the same coin, man? And you think about like you can go to uh, transhumanists uh, section on Wikipedia, and Joe Rogan's listed as a high profile transhumanist. Elon Musk is not, but Rogan is. And um, there's a whole like rabbit trail to go down with Rogan's show, and Alex Jones is tied in, and all this stuff. Now I don't know necessarily if Rogan's in on this or not. It would seem like such a great asset to have if you are the elite. You have this massive, massive show, which is more influential than any other show out there. And um, someone else pointed out separately that half of his political discussions are had with Jewish guests. Now, you know how I feel about this whole thing. I feel like they're Kazarians, and I feel like that's a more accurate way to uh, call these people out. But a lot of people don't know who the Kazarians are, and these people hide behind Judaism, which is unfortunate for the true, uh, you know, members of the Jewish faith, faith and all that. But um, let's see. I wanted to get into this idea, so I hope I'm not all over the place. Again, not going off notes here, just finding all of this to be such a disturbing, weird set of coincidences. And it's not coincidences, but this is the way... That it's meant to uh, to seem. What is something that they talk about on Rogan's show a lot? And what is Joe Rogan a proponent of? Many things, but what I'm talking about here is psychedelics. And he talks with a lot of people on psychedelics. And Alex Jones refers to these as DMT cults. Why DMT cults? It seems like just a fun thing to do. I mean, you have Burning Man where these people do all kinds of drugs like this. And we come to find out that Burning Man is a very techie, uh, kind of like a uh, 21st century Bohemian Grove, I've heard it described as, where people from Google and all kinds of you know high-profile tech companies will go here and they'll let loose, they'll put let their hair down, so to speak, and they'll do some drugs, DMT, um, ecstasy, things like this. Now, what if all this stuff is meant to be a weapon to aid the cosmos in waking the dead and creating eternal life. I'm not the one creating this theory. Again, it sounds wild and it sounds far out, but there's this article that I'm going to read to you here. It's uh, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's Murderous Targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendrix, Lenin, Cobain, uh, Tupac, and other leftists. And it is CIA... Maps and Hefter embalming the dead is what it, the the full title of the article is or the section of this paper. Um, it's chapter one twenty five out of this you know multiple chapter book which I love to get through. Excuse me, I'm drinking coffee. I'm recording this again early in the morning, so I want to get through this chapter. But I'd like to go through this this entire book of at least one hundred and twenty five chapters and see what else has to do with these cosmos. Which, again, tie back to the Soviet Union and a lot of elitists support this idea. Cosmism, according to people today, like Putin, is part of Russia's identity. If I'm understanding this right. So it's scary stuff. And I'm actually kind of scared talking about it. It's like a weird topic to get into. And for the record, anyone out there listening that may not like me talking about this, I don't know if this is real or not. I'm just throwing the idea out there. Some people that don't report on this kind of stuff anymore have talked about this, and maybe they're discredited, 
Maybe it's a completely foolish topic to talk about, but this is what we do. We talk about stuff that may or may not be true. I tend to think that this is incredibly interesting. Embalming the dead with psychedelics. Um, and I'm going to make some more connections here uh, in this short intro, but then I'll also uh, go really in-depth in my next episode, which should be coming out this week. I've got quite a bit of research for it. I just want to line it out so it makes some sense. And to be honest, I'm kind of practicing here with you guys, seeing if what I'm saying here makes sense or if it ties together with you guys. So as I'm reading this, think about the idea of it being very old. Uh, we're talking you know, decades before the space age that people specifically in Russia are talking about colonizing different planets, colonizing the Milky Way. Planets are going to be like cities here today where you can commute from one to the other easily, fairly quickly. And um, to do this stuff, you would think you would need to be immortal, right? You would need to be some sort of cyborg and uh, because you would have to travel, you would think, at the speed of light. And this would age you significantly, if I'm understanding everything right. So this is what the the need for um, consciousness uploading, uh, world brain, which they talk about on the Joe Rogan Experience a lot. They talk about how we're going to share information and people that are li- like you, lying will be a thing of the past. Everyone will be able to source the same information. There will be one language. I mean, there's clips and clips and clips of them talking about this stuff on the Joe Rogan experience. So I think it's a sneaky way to push the idea and to normalize the idea of immortality, um, waking the dead and all this shit. I mean, Ben Shapiro was talking about this on the Joe Rogan experience not too long ago. So freaky stuff, but I'm going to read this, this article. It's relatively short and there's an individual in here, at least one that I'd like to bring up. And, uh, I have his Wikipedia page pulled up here as well. So it starts off like this again, CIA maps and Hefter embalming the dead. Now maps is not what you think. And I'll explain that here in a second. This is not the minor attracted persons. I feel like that's another one of those WWF world wildlife foundation and, uh, or federation, whatever the hell it was. I should know. I did an episode on it. And, um, the World Wrestling Federation, right? So here we go. Um, In the new millennium, the New York, the Baltimore Sun, and other large circulation daily newspapers highlighted research on psychedelics and ecstasy. Doctors at prestigious university medical schools produced studies promoting positive aspects of these drugs. These studies often mentioned an affiliated funding source research program called the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. This is the, the real maps here, the, the maps that's even more threatening to humanity than adults being attracted to children, which do not confuse me there. That is still awful. That is an awful, awful idea um, to support minor attracted people, and I do not support them whatsoever, but that's a lot more sensational, and it's a lot more polarizing than something like this. This is the maps that is going to destroy humanity, in my opinion. Now, they're affiliated with Rogan, I know, um, in one way or another. And I shouldn't say I know. This is something that I heard that makes sense, supposedly on it, um, with, uh, what's that guy's name, Aubrey Marcus. And I, I, again, this is stuff that I'm hearing and I'm repeating. I know this is sensitive stuff to talk about, so not making any accusations here. But uh, hearing that that uh, MAPS, this, this weird fucking group, is affiliated with uh, some of these, like, I don't know what you call them, nootropics or, or these these supplements is probably a better word 
that you see being sold through Rogan and on it. And also, who else? Alex Jones sells a lot of supplements. And it's interesting, just like, you know, trying to get the, the gears turning in that head of yours. But uh, continuing on with the article, uh, founded in 1986, MAPS received early aid from the MK Ultra participants such as Timothy Leary. We've all heard of him out of Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. The former CIA contracted inventor of LSD, Albert Hoffman, also donated to the funding of MAPS. The year before, the Food and Drug Administration had classified ecstasy as a Schedule One drug. This made ecstasy illegal as an additive, uh, I'm sorry, as an addictive substance without clinical, and then it stops. There's no period there or anything. So I don't know if this was redacted, excuse me, or what. Um, that reminds me, I need to take a sip of coffee before we move on here. When you look at the logo of MAPS, too, it's a total as above, so below thing. There's a hand going up top, hand going down below, and then, you know, like... They're holding light between their hands. And I think that that light is Lucifer, personally. Mm. But Rick Doblin founded MAPS. Um, Doblin described his first acid trip, which reportedly led him to say he had, quote, been fortunate to be able to combine psychedelics with the pursuit of the American dream. The Reagan-Bush administration's IRS granted 501c3 tax-exempt charity status to Doblin's North Carolina-based MAPS. MAPS received large contributions from, wait for it, billionaire George Soros, the multi-billionaire Pritzker family, and an anonymous British foundation. I bet you that is the crown, the anonymous British foundation. Or potentially the Pilgrim Society, which ties into all these people too. If, if you don't know who they are, I did a great ep two episodes on them. Uh, if I do say so myself, it was pretty fucking good. Um and the second one, Ghost, my buddy from My Third Eye, is on that as well. Now, in the new millennium, MAPS listed major uh, contributions from families and groups, including the Pritzker family, who had a net worth of tens of billions of, and then it cuts off again. I'm assuming we could say dollars, or maybe it says pounds or what, but there we go. Back in 1993, Rick Doblin had agreed, had already received, I don't know what I'm doing here, uh, already received attention from the Associated Press when they covered the anniversary of LSD's discovery. A conference was held, and many of the LSD luminaries were quoted there, including Timothy Leary. They re uh, the relatively short article devoted about two paragraphs to the MAPS founder. MAPS started during the Reagan-Bush presidential administration. seemed like no coincidence at the time. In 1986, Vice President George H.W. Bush's aide Oliver North jump-started the Iran-Contra scandal involving the CIA trafficking cocaine. We've all heard about this situation. Um, once former CIA Director Bush reached the presidency, he appointed Dr. David Kessler as the FDA uh, commissioner, harking back to the uh, MK Ultra days of testing LSD in schools. Kessler appro approved... Uh, university testing of psychedelics again in 1990, just after uh, his U.S. Senate, and then it cuts off again. Now, this David Kessler guy is an interesting dude. What caught my attention about him and why I looked him up is because, uh, harking back to the MK Ultra days, you probably know my fascination with MK Ultra, and I don't think that it's over completely. Um, Food and Drug Administration, I think that we're in a very... If it's not already happening, I think that we're very close to having drugs in our food. Um, we already have it in our water. I think it's if it's not already going on, I think that there are mind-numbing 
drugs in a lot of produce that you get at stores. I can't prove it, but I feel like this would be the case. Now, I want to go to this David Kessler guy because he is still working with the president right now. Again, remember at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that the Bushes are not as conservative as you might think. Uh, This guy worked with Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush, and he is now working with Joe Biden as the head of Operation Warp Speed. So that's scary stuff. This guy worked in the FDA, and now he's working on Operation Warp Speed. He's not just working with it. He's the head of Operation Warp Speed. And we talked about this the other day. If you have, if you look at the logo of Operation Warp Speed, it's literally a black cube with 13 stars and the coronavirus, uh, you know, digital graphics in the center there. So uh, not a lot of good images come to mind there. But this dude, like I said, still very active in politics, Dr. David A. Kessler. Um, interesting dude and went from working with the Food and Drug Administration uh, and the commissioner uh, of that agency and uh, or I should say uh, administration, right? Food and Drug Administration to now working with this fake virus that I think is set in place to um, to seriously get this agenda across of immortality is, is really what it is. And remember, the 322 with the three strands of 22 uh, pieces of DNA, it all fits together, okay? Now, where was I here? Going back to the article. Um, okay, so now they're, they're doing the testing of psychedelics in universities, right? This is approved by Kessler. This approval marked the FDA's uh, first for psychedelic research in over 20 years. So they're bringing it back. Dr. Kessler remained FDA commissioner for the next five years, including three years under President Clinton. President Bush also had Kessler fill the FDA with a like-minded research staff favorable to psychedelics. In an interview, Rick Doblin said one of these leading doctors in the FDA was Dr. John Harder, whose, quote, vision was to train me to understand how the FDA worked so that I could try to mobilize uh, the demoralized psychedelic community to submit protocols. Um, almost done here. Doblin went, to, went on to describe the history of his work, which inadvertently revealed in his usual power, um, which inadvertently revealed his unusual power in the FDA. Even after Kessler's resignation under President Clinton, uh, there was a short period after he resigned in 1995, during which lower-level FDA officials made it difficult to move forward with psychedelic and medical marijuana research. You wonder why. You wonder why there is a splintering of ideas here. Obviously, debate is healthy, but I've said this for a little while now. When you have George Soros and high, high state officials allowing marijuana to be you know, commercialized, um, I believe that marijuana is going to be a tool of the elite, and I think it already is. Only certain people can grow this stuff and sell it to dispensaries. Um, I And I'm not saying that everyone that, that has that ability is in on this shit. Um, I actually think that marijuana is a good thing, but I think that the best marijuana that you can get is stuff that you grow yourself because this can be GMO marijuana. It can be uh, the THC levels can be way too high for like your average smoker. And for, speaking for myself only here, when I smoke... It is a completely different feeling than when I'm drunk. It's um, it's a more self-aware feeling, 
and it seems like it would be a good thing, but it feels like it could also make someone schizophrenic if they're not used to this high-level stuff. And I'm not trying to sound like an old person here. If you smoke weed, I'm on board. Like, I, I really don't think it's a it's a bad thing, but the way that it's pushed on us um, and allowed so easily is suspect. You just have to question these things, right? When something super good happens in the world today, it's unfortunate that we have to be like, okay, well, what's the downside to this? These laws don't get put in place just for the for the fun of it. There is a reason here, and there's a reason that they made it seem like this was not um, something that they wanted, right? It's like that. Uh, it's that whole thing where if you tell a kid that they can't do something, they want to do it. The government has raised us to be a bunch of kids. Um, we ask, you know, we get in trouble if we break the rules. Um, you know, we ask for permission to do certain things, even though we have the right to do anything that we fucking want here in this country. Um, we're treated like kids and, and the government sees that and they've created that. So, uh, continuing on with the article here. However, I find a complaint. I filed a complaint with the ombudsman. I'm not sure what that is. And the policies established by uh, pilot drug were reaffirmed in 1999 by FDA upper management. Doblin further said Clinton's successor, President George W. Bush, also picked the FDA commissioner, Dr. Jane Henney, who is supportive of psychedelic cutoff again. I would assume research is what it goes on to say there. I don't know why this is cut off like this. It may be just um, like this is a preview, or maybe some of it's intentionally redacted. It's, it's hard to say. Um, but this is the last little segment of this this paragraph here. From 2000 to 2011, MAPS articles showed up in newspapers worldwide with MAPS funding the Harvard and Johns Hopkins researchers. The idea of LSD and ecstasy having health benefits spread. The New York Times, Baltimore Sun, and other newspapers helped spread MAPS propaganda, further legitimizing the probably again research. Okay, so my apologies that a lot of it's cut off, but I didn't write the damn thing. And I didn't publish it. So, again, the idea of these drugs embalming the dead. That Just think about that and think about what the end goal of this cosmist movement, which I believe is alive and well. They talk about this stuff on Wikipedia and on other sites as a thing of the past. And that's just not the case. It really is not the case, in my opinion. I think that it's totally alive and well. And when you look into some of these people that really started the movement, and then I'll wrap up here... Um, they're freaky people, man. I mean, back in, uh, this guy was alive from 1828 to 1903, Nikolai Fyodorich Fyodorov, and sorry for the butchering of the Russian names, but these are difficult names to say. He was an advocate for radical life extension. Again, dying in 1903, this is, this is not really a thought in the zeitgeist, if you will. Um, an advocate for radical life extension by means of scientific methods. Human immortality and the resurrection of dead people. This is the father of Russian cosmism right here. And the three main ideas would be life extension through scientific methods, human immortality, and resurrection of dead people. He doesn't, they don't go on to talk about um, traveling through space and stuff until later with this Konstantin Sialovsky. I hope is his name. Uh, that's how uh, you can go to Russian Cosmism on Wikipedia and you can find all this stuff. Um, alive from 1857 to 1935, among the pioneers of theoretical space travel with um, 
the cosmonauts, obviously. And in 1903, the year that Fyodorov, the father of cosmism, died, uh, Sielovsky published the first serious scientific work on space travel. And um, his work really wasn't known outside of the Russian Empire, which is interesting. And now it's still really relatively unknown. I guarantee none of you have heard of either of these two people. So even though you haven't heard of them, these people are very influential over our political leaders. And it's a shame that we have to call them leaders, but this is what it is. Um, he wants to. He wanted to colonize the Milky Way, so this is where this stuff starts coming in. And you have to remember, this is decades before the space age, okay? So, yeah, it, it's interesting. Now, they bring together some ideas of Eastern and Western philosophic traditions and then the Russian Orthodox Church. I've been talking about orthodoxy a lot lately, and it's coming up here again, but specifically the Russian Orthodox Church, which is opposite of what we were talking about with uh, Centralia, which was the Ukrainian Greek Orthodox Church, if I'm not mistaken. But I think that was a Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. There was just a lot of symbols that hinted at uh, at Orthodoxy there, including those weird crosses. Now, there's two more guys that I will mention here, I believe. Um, and the last dude's fucking weird. But this guy here, Alexander Bogdanov, 1873 to 1928, was a Russian and later Soviet physician, philosopher, and science fiction writer, and Bolshevik revolutionary. And his wide scientific and medical interests range from universal systems to, get this shit, the possibility of human rejuvenation through blood transfusion. We're talking adrenochrome here, baby. We got young blood going into old people for rejuvenation, a youthful feel. And then um, he also had the idea that old blood could be injected into young people to help them uh, stay immune to diseases, like strengthen their immune system, right? Um, viruses, things like that. You, in his theory, if you gave, uh, you know, someone, let's just keep it super simple, an old person that had chickenpox uh, and they had that immune system built up towards chickenpox, you give that to a kid, inject the blood into them, this would make them, in theory, immune to chickenpox. Again, overly simplified, but he he basically says that Blood transfusions could be this solidarity between generations. To me, I think that that's a, a nice way to put it. I think it's a very sinister idea, and I uh, I think he was just trying to normalize it, honestly. But, yeah, we got adrenochrome. We got uh, waking the dead. We have immortality. We have uh, interplanetary, uh, what do you call it, freaking uh, colonizing, right? Now, the last guy I'm going to mention here is another weird one because you'll see... Uh, Vladimir Verdansky, alive from 1863 to 1945, developed the notion of the new sphere, which is something I'm just going to leave off for right now because it is incredibly deep, and um, the new sphere is, is, is a freaky idea. Essentially what it is, it's like the biosphere's highest evolution, and it's like world brain, consciousness uploading, and all this stuff. This is back in 1945 at the very latest because this is when the man died, but he developed this idea, and you've probably seen documents of, like, priests with, like, circles around their head, and different, like, it looks like an atmosphere of sorts around the guy's head, that's alluding to the new sphere, where our consciousness is controlled by some cosmic being, okay, that's what's kind of freaky here, now, the new sphere, again, a whole new rabbit hole that I won't even get into on this, because I'm doing a multiple hour long presentation on this this week, 
Um, but he was connected, Verdansky was connected to this French philosopher and Jesuit priest, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Um, now, these guys created the concept of the new sphere together. So you have a Catholic and a Russian scientist, basically, um, agreeing on this idea of a new sphere. That should terrify people that think that Catholicism and science are supposed to be butting heads here. Behind the scenes, a member of the Army of Jesus got together with a scientist to create this concept that has to do with consciousness uploading in a world brain and a hive mind. It's fucked up. It's very, very strange. So um, those are those are my four horsemen of cosmism. And uh, I cannot wait to talk more about this stuff. I'm totally down to have anyone that knows about this stuff to educate me. Feel free. Best way to get a hold of me if you're not a Patreon subscriber. Um, by the way, patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. Going to be doing some awesome work to cap this year off in 2022 and then start in 2023 in a big way too. Um, anyone that knows about this, anyone that knows about the Isborski Club, which is a, a, a very, very influential, it's like 50 of the most fucking you know profound Russian thinkers. If you go and look at it, it's a Russian think tank. But these people are cosmists. And they'll tell you it's anti-transhumanism, but I think that's to just get you sucked in. If you go to Russian Cosmism online, it's part of the transhumanism thing. It has the logo, the little circle with the H and the plus sign for, you know, human plus. Um, and it's totally, in, in my opinion, it's a subset of transhumanism. Or maybe it's like the father program. Um, or maybe transhumanism is under the umbrella of this stuff. But you have cyborgism. Futurology, utopianism, um, immortalism, fucking uh, demo. Yeah, then you have your different political ideologies of transhumanism, anarcho, libertarian, democratic transhumanism. Obviously, Republicans won't be caught dead, at least in your face, talking about this stuff. And you go down more. What's interesting is you see New Age being connected to this. So I think that this is actually the. Again, New Age falls under this umbrella of cosmism. You have yoga, Agni Yoga, which uh, Yuri Bezmenov talked about how he wanted, the the Soviet Union wanted Americans to get involved in yoga because it's a fucking cult, okay? It makes people weak, and it makes people fucking, you know, kind of betas, in my opinion. So if you get a lot of, of dudes doing yoga in a fucking room together, they're probably sucking each other off, too. But, you know, Agni Yoga, um, New Age, Philosophy of the Cosmos, Pantheism, New Genesis, which I'm going to get into, Resurrection of the Dead, uh, Russian Futurism. Uh, let's see what else is uh, jumping out at the page here. Lots of stuff, man. And it is, like I said, it's very freaky. And I think that we are seeing this agenda ramped up. I think this is the agenda, is Russian Cosmism, um, which is interesting because you see this stuff going on with Ukraine and maybe this is just a weird way to usher in this new era, uh, have Russia fight Ukraine. And obviously, United States has picked its side, being being on that side with Ukraine. Man, it, it, it adds a new layer of this shit, right? It, it sure does. And it's very, very um, interesting. And there's so much more to it. I just kind of wanted to tease the idea a little bit here and maybe get some of y'all thinking about this stuff because it's incredibly deep. And um, 
like I said, some of your favorite podcasters out there, I think are potentially influenced by this, whether they know it or not, because, you know, we have Elon Musk and I'm not talking about like conspiracy podcasters. I mean, people might think I'm trying to throw like people I've argued with in the past into this. I'm not. Um, I don't think that those people would be at the level to talk about this stuff uh, or to to endorse these messages. Right. Not saying that I am by any means, but I'm going to try and I'm going to try and get into this stuff. And hopefully, like I said, get some wheels turning in, in your heads out there. You guys are smart. Um, I have a few very dumb listeners, but most of y'all are a lot smarter than I am. So I'm hoping by getting this conversation going, at least in this little community, we can learn more about this shit as a collective. Um, there's a ton of information out there. You just need to know what to search. So there you go. Have at it. Um, I will be sharing a lot more about this in weeks to come, and I may be doing multiple episodes on it, to be honest, because I'm completely obsessed. I did hours of research yesterday on it, and uh, we're going to have a few episodes for you here. So this is what I needed to get excited about this shit again, something fresh that I have not heard one person talk about. You hear a lot of anti-transhumanists out there, none of them mentioning cosmism that I've heard. If if I'm missing something, I even searched in uh, Apple Podcast. Russian Cosmism, there's like three shows that come up and there are no shows that I've heard of. Like there are no conspiracy people. Uh, one of them's like two minutes long. It's just like a quick description of what Cosmism is. It's more than I've heard about from most people. So we'll see what we can get into here. And I'm hoping uh, this will be a fun topic, but you'll see an episode coming out here this week. And um, let's see. Let's see what's up. But for the meantime, uh, enjoy this episode with Thomas from uh, Paranoid American. Big, big shout out to Matt and the Great Deception Podcast. It's such a fun thing. I'm recording this on a Monday morning. You guys are hopefully listening to it just hours before a new Monday Night Master Debaters is coming out over at the Great Deception's feed. So um, until next time, guys, enjoy this episode and be looking for a cunt episode, which if you haven't, send me a voice message. I would greatly appreciate it. Asking about some sort of news item or um, a conspiracy in general. It doesn't matter. We're down to talk about anything. If you've heard some of the things that get sent in, some of it's fun, some of it's scary, some of it's conspiratorial, some of it's not. Some of it's just like provable politics in your face. Uh, so look for a cunt episode. Shoot me a message. Voice memo, 30 seconds to a minute. It's super fun. Plug your show if you got one. Do that. And then look for a, a, a deeper dive into Russian cosmism and how the elites and these technocrats around today are pushing this on us without us even fucking having any clue. Um, look for that stuff this week, guys. I appreciate everything. And enjoy this episode of uh, Monday Night Master Debaters with the great Thomas. The great and powerful Thomas, as Joe Rogan would say. Uh, from Paranoid American. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And welcome to the Monday Night Master Debaters. It's a wild world out there, folks. We're talking Cabbage Patch Kids and twins and 
all sorts of genetic mutations. And we got Elon Musk throwing fireballs over at Twitter, playing the role of uh, agent of chaos to a T. We got, oh man, what was the, oh, the other thing was, uh, I don't know if you guys saw my post yesterday, but now they're talking about like being able to create 30,000 babies and house them in a, a warehouse and keep them fed and nourished and taken care of in these like incubator things. It's fucking madness out there. So let's get down to the brass tacks here. We have Thomas from Paranoid American. What's up, my man? Hey guys, good to be here, man. Nice to, nice to see your pretty faces once again. Uh, always a pleasure. And thank you so much. I, you know, I love the stickers that you made. Uh, I got the World's Fair. Actually, I got them all on my laptop here. And then I even put the World Fair one on my truck, which is like, I, I don't put shit on my truck, but that World Fair one, the Chicago one is awesome. I appreciate that so much, man. I, I love that I get to be a, there's a paranoid American badge of honor uh, driving around. Oh yeah. The college kids love it. They're like, what is that? I'm like, go look up the world fair. And and it's great. It's a little, it's a little, one of those like teaser things. So, but yeah, thanks for joining brother. Right. What's going on, man. Same old stuff, man. As always just, uh, you know, enjoying, uh, you know, the weekend shitty 282 with the ufc oh dude so i'm I just excited about that because yeah, that I'm was sh- yeah. if there's and i gotta write that because if there's any let's start with that because that was just pure horse shit yeah if there's ever a fix in sports that you can look at multiple fights there and that that was just total bullshit yeah so i mean after that you know just in, in excited to get another one of these uh fun shows in man um I'm, i need to go grab my charger real quick but uh other than that just uh excited to see what we get into we already talked about some pretty interesting stuff before we started recording so this is gonna be a fun one i can tell. yeah we're gonna rehash that real quick not the whole thing but uh thomas what we were talking about is one of the things i've been going into lately and we were talking about how you know when you start researching and you end up finding that these take you down different rabbit holes well i was watching a mind unveiled video on youtube and they were talking about uh this book here babylon's real babies and what it is it's all postcards from like the late 1800s uh early 1900s and it's all children in like weird shit you know like just weird stuff and what this led into was one of the things that keeps popping up in this is cabbage patch you know and this idea of like growing kids in and cabbage patches and so then it led us to the cabbage patch doll which is very interesting because when you start looking at the cabbage patch dolls they came with like a birth certificate and adoption papers and even on their birth certificate like their name was in all caps like you know the us uh, like our birth certificates and uh well then you start looking at the cabbage patches and you're like well that's not that far of a stretch if they're are, are they telling us something here that maybe they were you know like growing babies or were were these artificial things that they were using to repopulate or what's going on here and so you start looking down the story of the cabbage patch kids and you know one of the creepy things is that they were you know the the there's a story 
in in them that they were created basically for this miserly woman um, to mine gold for her. And that was their whole purpose. And she couldn't let them get free because then she wouldn't have anybody to mine her gold. And Where, just, where's this from? Is this from a short story somewhere or like I found that uh, it's from like an audio. I, I, I think it's like an audio. You know how they used to do the books where it came with like an audio tape right. back in the 80s. I think it's one of those. And I so I found a clip on YouTube where it's this woman singing about them. And it's so creepy. And, it is, and, so, and just the this is about the Cabbage Patch dolls that she's singing about, or yeah, she's, she's singing about, about the Cabbage Patch. Interesting, I never. <laughs> that's crazy, bro. That's yeah, awesome. and, and so you start thinking about that, and then the whole then it gets into. Uh, let me show you this. Do 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 do. Um, is it this one? Uh, no. Then you get it. These are like the incubator babies, right? From uh, Dr. Cooney, like in, in the world fairs and stuff, they used to have babies in incubators and like people could buy them. You know, this one guy had like a traveling sideshow of just incubators. Um, oh, this is it. So then I start like looking up Cabbage Patch Kids and I find that uh, where to go. Damn it. Well, I was going to say, dude, real quick while you were looking for that, is there like a theory out there that all those like the traveling sideshow of the babies and incubators, are these like influential figures throughout time that were purchased by rich people out of these incubators during the World's Fairs during that era? No, it's basically <laughs> that either A, these are like the first set of clones, you know, like genetic mute, like uh, test tube babies, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Or... They were, you know, t the mother, the mothers were basically bred to have the baby. The baby was taken, you know, and then put in these incubators to be then sold. And that was the point of the incubators. Uh. I mean, they were, they were pushed as an idea to save premature babies. But when it got down to it, the, the, the nuts and bolts of it were, they were just there to hold, keep the babies alive so they could be sold at a time when orphanages had you know, exorbitant amounts of children that didn't have parents. So why mm. are we then saving additional children if we can't even deal with the children that we have? It's just yeah, it's like it, a commodity. Yeah, it's just very strange. And so when I started looking at it, you know, you look at the orphan trains, right? And these things would come into town. People would come meet the train and they'd line up the children and people could just buy them. Well, that's what they were doing with these Cabbage Patch dolls, right? They were coming into stores. People were making deals in the back for them. Like they were a hot commodity. People were getting disappointed when they went there and couldn't get one. Or they were like, you know, I wanted a boy, but I got a girl and I'll just take the girl anyway because I just want whatever I'll get. And they, it, they, mine, they mine gold the same. <laughs> yeah, right. But then, and, and But then even weirder, when you get to like the Cabbage Patch birth certificate, where is it? Look what it says here. On his adoption papers. When I grow up, I want to be an architect. Like, dude, like, what do you think these, you know, it's, it's cabbage very Prussian. <laughs> it's very yeah, Prussian or, of you. The orphans and stuff. But so just the, the long and short of it, but it's very creepy. You know, like there's all this like cabbage and baby image. And then they they even go through like these weird ceremonies. Notice at the base of the tree that this woman crystals begin to glow just like, a little bit brighter. The birth and process. Push, we should have a quick, easy delivery. <coughs> the last found it to be very.
Like, it's it's so warped. That's a good idea. <laughs> Dude, this is nuts. Nice. I've never hey, seen you, anything um, like this. Yeah. I'm ready for pushing, okay? Um, and I imagine I'm going to need your help on that. You're going to have to coach Mother Cabbage for that, too. Oh, I do see the head, and that's a good sign. How creepy is this? What year is this video from? That's called a brand. This is from like the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's what and I'm going to need you to do. This is born with a bald head. But every bit is This seems way more modern than the it 80s, the way that it's zooming in and out like that. It may be it may be more modern, but this started in okay, yeah, here. Let it's me show it's you. creepy regardless. Whatever here's whatever the, the year the was, 80s. it was creepy. Sorry. Here's the one from the 80s, which is the, like the English version. Let's see what's inside yeah, here. here. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> it's a little boy. Give him a smack on the bottom. Get him to cry. <laughs> Get him to cry right away. Make sure he cries. Make sure we traumatize him right away. And then let's put some cancer powder on him. Not let that baby get away clean. Douse him in cancer powder. Oh yeah, <laughs> that'll be eight hundred dollars. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, but yeah. So they go through this whole like it's this whole process here where they're like, you know, like talking about how it's a you know, pe do people think these babies are real? And the woman's like, well, I think they know they're fake, but you know, they want to believe they're real. It's just how many petals were on those flowers back there? There was three flowers. I swear to God, if there's six petals on each flower. Oh, I'm on the cabbage? <laughs> on the flowers back there, when you show it was a black and white image, it seemed like it was more towards like the uh like minute area or maybe a little bit behind that. Did you see that, Thomas, where there was like the three uh, flowers? At the I, I didn't, but now I want to see. I want to count them too, because you said <laughs> that. Um yeah, man. And I, I feel like I gotta out myself here too before we get too far into this that I was indeed a uh an incubator baby i think i was born close to three months premature wow okay. um so i might very well be a clone and and wouldn't even know it to be honest <laughs> well i mean i my thing is what are these kids thinking okay it's right around here matt it's somewhere maybe just play it i don't know if you can mute it or something and we can just see when it pops up ah, there but we what go. is you know how it's showing the kid being held by her mother um, what's the kid thinking? Because this is targeted towards the kids, you'd hope. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's not targeted although, towards the Although parents. you do have those twisted adults that are into this just as much as the kids. You right. know, the, but yeah. yeah, you're right. This is directed at, and this is the brain. Now, the brainwashing of it is too when they go to adopt the baby, they have to say an oath. Mm. Like, how creepy is that? Yeah, I mean, all this is creepy. And then, you know, my obsession with garbage pail kids, you know what I mean? And and that just kind of furthers. Well, the... And, and, and the whole story of the Cabbage Patch Kids gets weird because this woman created them, right? She called them her baby dolls and she was selling them at like flea markets. Well, this guy came by and liked them and he wanted to buy them. And she's like, no, 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 they're not for sale like that. These are my baby dolls. Like, I'll sell you a doll. And every doll came with a, uh, an adoption papers and a backstory. And she would send him a letter and everything. And then this guy creates essentially the same doll. You know, he just adds like a belly button to it and has adoption papers, has uh, 
you know, backstory, everything. And a patent, probably. Yep. <laughs> and then, and so she ends up suing him and and wins uh, after years. Of... Did you notice that news sign? Sorry to cut you off, Matt. Did you notice that news sign up there? It's a DNA strand, DNA strand news. Did you see that? Oh, sure. right here. Oh, yeah, yeah, go up on the on the patch. But do you see that on the top left where it has the news? Where it says yeah, that? Yeah, it's got like a little double helix pattern. It's a double helix thing. Okay, so yeah, right there was what I was it looking was, at. So the left one was six, bro. The left Fuck. one was six petals. Okay, the, well, that the middle one's, one's not, six. though. There's no way the middle one's only six. Yeah, so you got six and then six on the other side. What is that? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, uh, like eleven or something. Damn, that would have been wild, huh? But what's this middle one? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, that would have been in just there epic. somewhere. We're gonna find you, you ten. fuckers. Yeah, <laughs> we'll it's find ten you. in the middle. <laughs> okay, but yeah, and then so it's seven. It's seven on the actual cabbage. Cabbage. So, and like you were talking about Thomas, with it's just the whole ideas of babies and you know, possible, possible genetic mutations and, you know, the scientists wanting to play God and the idea well, of them. Well, there's a related thread on this too, man, that this helps dehumanize uh, these babies and these orphans, not, not the dolls, right? The dolls is the side effect, but by, by presenting like, oh, there's this surplus of babies. You can just go to the toy store and buy babies. And it's a real baby because it comes with adoption papers and everything that's for the kids right you know and kids kids will believe in santa or whatever and the idea is that like you know you get a certain age and the adults grow out of it but it's still in your psyche like you've still been encompassed in that your entire life so if you kind of go back to what those like late 1800s where there's just babies that just grow out of the ground i mean that's not a human and if you were to like see something suffering that just grew out as a plant you can probably justify uh, like the dehumanization aspect of it. So this is just like a hundred years into the future, that same kind of concept, but now it's in 3D, right? It's not just a little postcard for a curiosity cabinet. Now yep. it's something that you can like live in touch and the kids well, get excited about. You want to see something even crazier, Thomas? I didn't realize this, but Disney came out with this movie called The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Okay, and it's about these parents who can't have a kid, Right. So they can't have a kid. So what they do is they take all these baby names and they uh, bury them in their garden. Okay. And they bury, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden the next day, what shows up in their bathtub, but a boy mm -hmm. covered in dirt that has leaves growing from his legs. We're talking about Phoenician magic here. And what's, yes. all, what's also interesting uh, with, and I just realized this when you were mentioning that storm and it was like a lightning flashing and the rain coming down. This is an absolute inversion because the original gods that people used to sacrifice their children to specifically tended to be the storm gods and the rain gods uh, because it was this trade that you were making with nature that was saying, hey, nature, you know, grow things so that I may eat them, you know, grow your baby uh, animals and your baby plants so that you can nourish my tribe and my family and in exchange you know i have got, i've got these 13 kids here because i don't have any prophylactics right i've got this like huge group of kids here's a baby like i'm gonna sacrifice this baby to you in order for you to give me rain and there's even some some central american cultures where as they sacrifice their children young babies 
they would have they would make them cry because they saw the tears coming out of their eyes represent the rain that would come down from the sky so there's this this very close like almost impossible to remove connection between child sacrifice and rain gods and storm gods and kind of like sacred you know cow agriculture worship and this is a, an exact inversion of that right because hey, instead of how... sacrificing the kid for the rain like they yeah. get the rain and the kid comes from it well how crazy is this watch the rain the rain goes up off the house the rain's not coming down it's going up because when i'm it's it's weird look at that yeah uh, have you have you seen this movie in its entirety man no I can't. I don't have. I don't. I can't give Disney. I'll have, I'll have to do. I'll have to take one for the team and watch this. It's too insane not to. <laughs> yeah, but well, have this... you seen? We mentioned this before. I think. Have you seen Vivarium? You guys seen that? I just. I, I just recorded it the other day. That's the one with Russell Crowe, right? No, it's with uh, that guy. Uh, he plays Mark Zuckerberg in that weird uh, Zuckerberg. Uh, yeah, I know Facebook. you're talking. I've, I've seen the movie. I don't know the actors' names. Yeah, I forget the dude's name. He's the curly-headed dude, and then there's another chick in it, obviously. But yeah, it's Vivarium, and it's it, it, it's kind of weird in the way... Uh, for some reason, this reminds me of it, this whole story, but there's this idea of a kid kind of popping up out of nowhere when they're in this uh, clone neighborhood. Like, it's an, it's an alternate realm that they go into, and they're, like, you know, house hunting, and they end up just getting stuck in this neighborhood, and this kid pops up out of... Essentially, it seems like out of the atmosphere this kid comes from. And um, I don't know. It, it, I just see some similarities in there. But yeah, that's definitely something that you should check out for yeah, sure. Yeah, one of the things you were mentioning, Thomas, was that um, when we were talking before, you were talking about the like neglect of children and things like that. And one of the things that I, I has come across and it's been hitting me from all directions is the Unabomber. And one of the interesting things about him is not only his manifesto, because it's scary how much he nailed what's going on in since 30, 40 years when he wrote the thing. Um, but the fact that when he was a baby, he got sick and he went to the hospital and what happened in the hospital, he went in supposedly, you know, normal kid, happy, healthy, you know, bright, you know, bright eyed, everything. When he was in the hospital, the hospital would only allow his parents to come in twice a week for an hour at a time. And he was in there for a couple of weeks. And they said, by the time he left, he was so traumatized. He wouldn't make eye contact with anyone. It was almost like he had developed autism in there from the neglect and, and not having his mother around at that stage in his life when it's such a crucial time to have your mother involved. Well, that came up because uh, I was mentioning that that this weird sort of overlap between the research you've been doing with all these cab Cabbage Patch kids and orphan trains, just the time period and what I'm going to call like the the this group of just like kids um, that overlaps directly with some of this early developments in psychiatry. Specifically, like I've been looking to adrenochrome, but aside from the adrenochrome aspect, the root of this is research into schizophrenia. And the, the key distinction here and why why children specifically become relevant is that at a certain point in the late 1800s, collectively science of the last three or 400 years sort of gave up on dementia for old people. And they just figured once you hit a certain age, once you're like, I think it's like 65 or 70, if you start showing signs of just losing your mind, 
it's just kind of granted that that's the natural progression of life. There's no real cure for it. There's no real cause for it. That's a little bit different today than it was in the late 1800s, but that was the premise. And what they did is they wanted to shift their focus because they noticed that young people were also developing this early onset schizophrenia and they called it dementia precox uh, versus dementia senile. Uh, meaning like early onset versus late onset. So all of a sudden there's this focus on early onset dementia and schizophrenia specifically because it didn't seem that everyone that had it was born with it. And a lot of it had to do with upbringing and, and environment. And specifically if children were traumatized, neglected, otherwise gone through kind of what they, they deemed as like irregular upbringing, um, then they could actually develop these same exact symptoms as schizophrenics would at other later parts of life. So so the reason why this became important is because it wasn't just a natural deterioration of your mental facilities because of time. There might actually be something that can happen to somebody that causes, you know, like an actual biological deterioration. And because of this, they started using kids because that was the only control group that you can kind of test this theory on you can't test it on rats right you can't ask yeah. a rat if they're going crazy as, as much as we want to think science is advanced it 100 percent of the time comes down to sitting in front of the person and saying how do you feel what are you thinking what's your mental process like you remove that from the equation and you're just like a doctor looking at colors on screens and 3d projections you don't really know anything right um so that's kind of why they started using children so and and again, same exact time period as you're talking about here. And and at that time, it's the beginning of that indoctrination, right? To trust your doctors, you know, Rockefeller medicine, a hundred percent. Yeah, we're, we're go, going away from the homeopathic ways that people had followed for time and memoriam, and now, which is ironic because they were they were actively demonizing and making drugs illegal that had natural sources. Meanwhile, they're recreating the exact same drugs just synthetically and then adding a molecule here and there so that they can patent it and then make that one. And this isn't even crazy conspiracy theorist, anti-capitalist bullshit, nope. right? This is literally what happened, like the exact same time period when they're discovering adrenaline and mescaline and using it on kids specifically uh, is kind of like the same exact balls in motion to make all of that illegal so no one else can can do it for themselves. So Rockefeller medicine in a nutshell. Yeah, man, this is when, when did uh, Rockefeller take over the, the whole thing? It was in the early thirties, right? Cause medicine, they did the, the music. Medicine was the 1850s. Right. But when did Rockefeller hijack medicine? It was the same. Well, we're time talking was... Rockefeller medicine specifically so Rockefeller foundation, which is around the 19, like the 1930s is like yeah. a fever pitch of, eugenics movement psychiatry movement um psychedelics being discovered all of the this music the tuning the changed in the 30s too tuning like standard tuning like they went they went away from 432 hertz well that's to... when they made it official like like it right. had always like different orchestras and different areas had different pitches and it got so frustrating that they were all just like let's all just settle on one so that when you travel from city to city you don't got to retune your instruments you don't got to retune your right, voice right. Uh, but they ended up going with, um, you know, the 440 instead of the 432. And fun fact, L Lyndon LaRoche, who is kind of like the grandpappy of a lot of modern day conspiracy theories, he was the last person to actually make like a very valiant effort of reverting the world back to 432, but it, mm -hmm. it failed. And he had the backing of like every famous opera 
singer on the planet uh, backing him for this because this is a, a tangent, but like singing in 432, you can actually do more comfortably for a longer period of time versus 440, which absolutely wrecks your voice. Uh, so there's all kinds of fun facts about dude, like the 1930s is such a, is a crazy time in history where like just things came together, right? Like just a million different connections were all made and uh, by coincidence or occultism or whatever, uh, that was like, you know, like, like a second freaking big bang almost. I, yeah, I think they're going to say the same about the 2020s. You know, when all of this is said uh, and done, I think they're going to you're going to look back and say, holy shit, you see what they pulled off? Because I think a lot of what happened in the 30s, though, started in the 1920s. And, you know, one of my things with I feel like history is a wave. It's like a sine wave and it's very consistent. And you look and there's patterns that it falls and it's like every hundred years or so hundred hundred fifty years there's got to be you know not a full-on reset but there's a major reset of things well i can do you one better than the 1930s or 20s because 1910 is when the eugenics record office uh formed in the united states 1903 how many how many times did that office burn down though thomas <laughs> no that's true but but this was this was a train that like was only building up momentum and i think what happened is that hitler kind of ruined the party for a lot of people he was like he did he went too far and he put too many brand names on it he didn't kind of like do it the nice silent way but every single thing that he did specifically came out of psychiatric research yeah, from the 1850s and the early 1900s between Germany and the United States. Did that really stop, though? Because I th I feel like the U.S. just picked up the ball and ran with it. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Like, yeah. basically, dude, like, it's, it's so crazy because there's you don't even have to jump around to topics. It's it's such a clear path of how this all happens. Right. In the 1930s, because we're not going to go back to like 10,000 BC, we could, but let's start in the 1930s because it's kind of like this fever pitch, right? The 1930s, you've got the Scottish Rite Freemasonry Northern Jurisdiction um, Council, 33 Supreme Council. They are like the number one bankrollers of doing psychiatric research. They're the ones that funded um, giving children methamphetamine. Uh, they, they tested giving them alcohol. They tested doing all these like neglect and more or less abuse experiments. That was the, the Scottish Rite, essentially. It's also being funded by all sorts of German institutions, the Rockefeller Institution and the Macy Foundation. These are like the, the main wallets that are just feeding money into this machine of psychiatric, uh, schizophrenic and psychedelic research. Now around like, and this, this continues all the way through the forties. And then right around 1950, Guess who picks up, starts picking up the check is the CIA through Project MKUltra. Project MKUltra, essentially, everyone likes to talk about the fun, like mind control aspects and like the remote control bull. But really, MKUltra, and I'm going to take a little bit of the, the fucking wind out of the sail here. It was really just like a financing project. It was like as exciting as filling out an expense report to your office job because you went on a trip to some convention and came back. That's kind of what MK Ultra really amounted to. But what was happening is that the Rockefeller Foundation, the Macy Foundation, these eugenic foundations and the Scottish Rite, they kind of stopped paying publicly for all this research and it transitions into the CIA paying for it off the books. And that continues from the 50s to the 70s, at which point 
now like everything that they wanted to know about these crazy drugs and these these interactions that are essentially based on the discovery of adrenaline they knew what they needed to know they knew about neglect they knew you know it was a success they got all the research they wanted and then psychedelic research kind of like started entering the public realm around the late 70s 80s 90s and only until freaking like this year or like this decade psychedelic research laws start getting rolled back a little bit and just now we start to you know have actual scientists use the exact same drugs for like therapeutic reasons not to torture you not to induce schizophrenia and induce dementia just to see how they can do it and then weaponize it now we finally get to to like use it for its benefits but it's this long winding road and it really did it started with children and ritalin ritalin was like the first drug that we we're talking about that kind of formed that rockefeller medicine um example mm. so you mentioned adrenochrome before when when do you start seeing that coming into play uh, about 1933 there's a scientist named ezra green um along with a whole bunch of other people but but basically in the early 1930s, they are able to isolate it. They discover it, they isolate it. They're not really sure what it does. The general premise that develops between the 30s and the 50s is that they can detect higher levels of adrenochrome and androlutin in the blood of schizophrenia patients. So they start theorizing that those drugs themselves, the androlutin and adrenochrome, might be causing schizophrenia. So then there's a theory that, well, this adrenochrome molecule looks so similar to serotonin and to mescaline um, and to like, you know, adrenaline and all these other compounds that maybe it is in fact like a psychedelic substance. And that kind of, it grows from there, but that's essentially, you know, where it came from. What's yeah. the benefit you guys think about having a society, a benefit as far as like these elites go or whatever we want to call them. What's the benefit of having a, a schizophrenic society? Cause it seems like they're trying to create that on the the lowest levels of society like you know even kids with tiktok and things like that i think that that is actually creating schizophrenic people on a very low scale and they're 100%. redefining trauma right like they're people are getting traumatized from social media today it's not coming from it's wars. so efficient right it's so fucking it's so you good don't, you don't got to spend a single bullet you can just send out a mean tweet and evoke the same sort of trauma that it used to take you know, shooting a bullet Wars or like setting off money. a bomb used to take. Yeah. So what is the point? What What is the reasoning for these people, <laughs> in your guys' opinion, of having a schizophrenic society? Because it seems so counterproductive. I think it's disorientation, right? I think it's disharmony, disconnection. Disassociation? Yeah, it's just, it's it's the unnatural way of things. And that's kind of, you know, where I'm going with my show uh, for a little bit for a while is talking about how you know they've pushed us into this synthetic world they want everything to to you know and that's a lot and it's crazy because that's a lot of what is in the you know unabomber's manifesto is him talking about how the you know the technological society wants you dependent on the government it wants you dependent on them for their, your health they wants you dependent on them for everything and right it's only going to take more and more of your power as you go through. And I think it's, it all ties into that. I think it, it all goes back into this, you know, how do we control the masses most efficiently? And it's to keep them disoriented. It's, it's, you know, to keep them out of sync because if they synchronize and they can, you, you know, unite, 
we're screwed because the numbers are, you know, so far outweigh that they can't have that other side in harmony. That's why they, you know, the whole divide and conquer is their mission. And I think that goes down from the kids all the way up now. I mean, they, they don't care. They want everybody traumatized. Right. Yeah. Can, can I get a screen share up that. in here? Uh, yep. Give me one sec. I, I was interested to see what, right ahead. what you have to say too, Thomas. And then like, I, I feel like a lot of people are disassociating from society. Cause I know I am for sure. I felt I'm myself like kind of drifting away and I don't think that that's good, you know? And, and, but I, I, I can absolutely say that like, sometimes I'll catch myself in the middle of like, just like my day-to-day life. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm actually a person. You know what I mean? Like, and I haven't really <laughs> felt like that in the past. It started right around 2020, 2021, where I'm just like catching myself and I'm like, holy shit, I'm actually alive. Like it's like a, like a, a reverse midlife crisis. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, it's strange, but yes. And sometimes like, I'll start thinking about a lot of stuff all at once. And I, I, that's not schizophrenia, obviously, but it's just very low level. Like, you know, it's, it's fucking with people's heads, dude. Well, it, it might, it might kind of be schizophrenia at like a, like a neurological level, to be honest. And right. So, so the question you asked originally was, what's the point of making everyone schizophrenic? Like, what's the benefit that the like an elite class might have? Let's let's say that that's the theoretical question, right? Right, right, right. Why would elites want anyone or the world to become more and more schizophrenic as we go? So, I, I think I'm going to blow your mind a little bit. Can you see this here, where it's uh, schizophrenia, Luvin- yes, evolutionary? Okay. So, so this guy Hoffer. If you look at it, he's one of the very original people to have done any sort of adrenochrome research uh, with humans as the test subjects, not just finding it in rabbit blood and, you know, putting it in a beaker and adding chemicals to it. He actually gave people adrenochrome. And I believe he had a um, his, his most important paper was called the adrenochrome hypothesis of schizophrenia. And he kind of projected that same concept that adrenochrome is directly related to schizophrenia yada yada but to answer your question here he goes into some really interesting details this is a paper here from 1994 so it kind of represents the culmination of 40 years of this guy's research directly into adrenochrome specifically Um, not just psychedelics but adrenochrome and one of the one of the things that he says here i'm going to go to the very um bottom where he kind of like points out all of these advantages he's got like pros and cons um let's see and the uh the pros that he lists here and this is by the way it's called uh yeah schizophrenia and evolutionary defense against severe stress um and he does a lot of like you can see here we've got some comparisons to lsd we've got comparisons to amphetamines um here's mm-hmm. a comparison of adrenochrome to mda um, which is a precursor related to MDMA. The um, title says it all. It's a, I mean, the, the schizophrenia create, I mean, when you, when you induce tons and tons of stress to a society, their natural reaction is to be, is to disassociate and to become schizophrenic. I feel like it's all right there in that title, dude. Well, well, again, so, so there's a, there's a, a fucking mind blowing aspect to this. Okay? okay. So the first part is that people that have schizophrenia, tend to have far less instances of cancer and the ones that do get cancer it's far less malignant malignant far easier to treat um and they tend to not um you know come back over and over 
and the inverse is is identical the the type of people that tend to get malignant cancers and cancers that become threatening also tend to be people that are not schizophrenic or not prone to becoming schizophrenic they don't end up getting dementia they don't end up getting parkinson's um there's outliers in both cases but but from a general's number it's more than just like a 50-50 shot so there's there's sort of a strong evidence that being schizophrenic will mean that you're basically cancer resistant. Now, on top of that, if you develop schizophrenia and then you're somehow able to come like get over the schizophrenia and then live a normal life, you retain all the benefits of being a schizophrenic with none of the downsides, you know, assuming that you don't actually continue being um, having hallucinations and having psychotic breaks. If you can actually get to the brink where you become psychotic for a while and then recover from it, then that lasting benefit just goes for the rest of your life. On top of that, this paper also goes in to say that this actually can be passed down genetically. So that if your parents mm. um, is schizophrenic, then when, you know, they might pass down like a reset, I'm going to oversimplify, it, but like a recessive schizophrenic gene, which doesn't actually exist, but then you will, you yourself have almost no chance or very little chance of becoming schizophrenic, but you're also going to be more cancer resistant. Um, and not just cancer. Cancer is the side effect because essentially what's happening on a biological level is that if you're able to either come up to the level of being schizophrenic and dial it back or recover from it, your body has learned how to handle stress to a point where most people would basically die from it. Essentially, what schizophrenia is doing is that too much adrenaline is going through your, your system and your body is actually somehow able to keep up with it. It's able to uh, use and deteriorate the adrenaline into these side products, which happen to be adrenochrome and adrenalutin. And if your body is good enough that it can that it can compensate for all this extra adrenaline, instead of your heart exploding and you having a heart attack, you'll actually just kind of start going crazy because uh, all that extra sort of like adrenal byproducts are making your system go crazy, which again is where the interest in adrenochrome kind of came from to begin with. And another reason why they ended up giving it to the kids because kids gave you this baseline. You weren't dealing with someone that's lived for 40 years and has gone through all sorts of things and has eaten weird foods. A kid come kind of comes out as like a blank Petri dish slate. So again, that's what made them like these perfect candidates to try adrenochrome and mescaline and Ritalin um, and, and amphetamines on. Are you talking about transgenerational trauma? with the i i'm that's exactly what i'm talking about and that and that's kind of like an ongoing um this this theme with the elites right where not only are they trying to make other people crazy but there's some some concepts that they try themselves to go crazy and that's why they do all these weird satanic rituals and they do this like um these like blood magic and sex magic rituals it really is so that they can get themselves all the way to the brink of true schizophrenia and then allow, like, you know, keep going there and back, almost like it's a muscle that you're working out, like, mm -hmm. go crazy, come back from crazy, go crazy, come back from crazy. And that's actually training your system how to deal with an enormous amount of stress. So that in some hypothetical long game, if you were to be like kidnapped and tortured, or just like forced to go through, you know, Joe Rogan levels of physical sort of expenditure, that you could like still <laughs> survive it, whereas 99% of other people might die from it. There's also proof that 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 same mechanic of like going to schizophrenia and coming back from it makes you youthful, it gets rid of gray hair, okay. um, you, you live longer, like the whole youth serum 
it's not like a thing that you drink. It's not adrenochrome that you extract from a crying child and you inject it. It's it's rather like the, the craziness that you can make someone else go through or that you can experience by going there and coming back, you become more youthful from that process. Okay, dude, I'll, I'll be the one to say this. Three white dudes on a podcast, two of us are bald. This isn't some racist shit. Is this <laughs> why... Is this the experiments on the black community? Because there is the most transgenerational trauma that has been perpetuated against the black people and they have a youthful appearance. There's that whole thing. Black don't crack. Right. I mean, it, it, it's funny you say right that there dude, because makes so much fucking sense. Well, well, the if uh, if adrenochrome is left to oxidize by itself, like once it's outside of the body and in the air, it deteriorates within two to three minutes instantly. It goes from red to black like by the time that you're, you're looking at it, but when it's aqueous or when it's still inside of your body, um, the natural breakdown, it actually turns into melanin. So this, like this overproduction of these, these molecules that help you overcome a heart attack, but maybe go crazy. If your body's able to break those down, they turn into melanin, like the, the same exact one that we're talking about is pigment. And when it goes from yeah. red to black, it's literally turning into melanin, the pigment, and that's why it turns black. Dude, that's I mean, crazy. this is this is why black culture has been experimented on so heavily, right? It, it seems like, at, at least from a surface level, because now, um, even though I think a lot of this stuff is like uh, it, it's fake, the way that you know you see the uh virtue signaling to the uh they call it what the bipoc community biracial or what is it black indigenous people of color they it seems like they they have these people have been targeted throughout our modern history um now they're very influential in in our culture today i mean hip-hop is is the the very uh you know it's like the main music that a lot of kids listen to black people influenced rock and roll i mean every single aspect of our culture today seems like have been influenced by black people and, I, and i've got a there's a crazy feedback loop in action here too where we traumatize that community and then they create the entertainment which in turn becomes the biggest um sort of influence on culture right and then it perpetuates that trauma which right. then gets fed back exactly. into the culture it's such a crazy loop and it's there's, like there's no incentive for anyone to stop it. <laughs> it's wild, man. It's very interesting. And and I didn't know any of that before, but I just know, I mean, there's that line of um, it's in a Jay-Z song. I forget exactly which one it is, but he talks about transgenerational trauma. And um, that's like where I first learned about like adrenochrome and all this stuff was from a Jay-Z song. And we know that this dude, like, you know, puts a lot of Easter eggs in his is, songs. Is there a adrenochrome mentioned in a Jay-Z song? No, but he talks about transgenerational trauma. Okay. okay. And and that's where I started looking into it. Um, was from he does that. mention cabbage patch kids though. <laughs> does he? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he, he says like you're soft as a cabbage patch and shit like that a couple times. That's wild though, man. And it is interesting that that this that this fear will make you look younger. Because white people age like fucking milk, you know, and, and you know, black people age very well, dude. Um, but that you still see the health problems and all this stuff. And you actually see it more often. I mean, I, the black community has a high percentage of cancer and uh, high cholesterol and, and all this shit. It may just be because they're Americans, um, yeah. the, the ones that are American as a whole. But I mean, like, dude, it's it's 
that's mind blowing shit. Honestly. Well, and part of that too is targeted, Rye. I mean, right, right. They, yeah, they like are tar- the the bullshit of like what food they're supposed to like and exactly. like exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's all grease based and you know high Mexicans calories too, dude. You know Mexicans out here, we eat a lot of fried food, dude. Yep. So it's it's targeted, and then now you get like the white culture is bringing in like the veganism, which is unhealthy in its own right. So well, and the the problem with it is 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 the the food in itself isn't all that bad if you're not living a sedentary lifestyle. But we right, right. live we live such a sedentary lifestyle that eating the same way that they ate in the 1800s when you're not burning nearly the calorie load they were it's it that one of the reasons why we're morbidly obese in this country the quality of the ingredients too i mean our flour here is poison i know you can't even bring flour in from other countries here and like look at what french people eat dude what's a croissant it's layers of butter and fucking wheat or bread and i mean they're not fat over there there's some fat french people but not the italians all the pasta and carbs they eat and shit. There's a lot of fat Italians, though. There are. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the flour is much better everywhere else but here. Yep. Right? Well, Microwaves aren't allowed. Right? What's that? Uh, just to the point where it's not bleached, essentially. Well, it's all gluten. Same with rice. It's all gluten Same with anything white, right? Anything anything white is essentially bad for you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good. That's true. What do we got here, Matt? Uh, well, I was I was showing you just the this oh. is the the exact um, citation they were saying where they say that uh, excessive formation of adrenochrome will decrease the prevalence of cancer and will increase the prevalence of schizophrenia. And they go on to say that the inverse is true. And there's there's a bunch of examples. And one of the examples that he ends with is they analyze people that um, were heavy smokers and compared the rate of schizophrenic heavy smoker lung cancer to those who did not have schizophrenia and again it was more than just the chance of numbers that the 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 ones that were um more propensity to have schizophrenia had much lower numbers of lung cancer um and there's there's another example here of this you're telling me hillary's not dying of cancer i mean i'm i'm telling you is that if you go to those uh, spirit cooking rituals uh, or you do some kind of Babylon working, you know, homunculus ritual and you go a little bit crazy and you and you peer into the demon realm, it might actually cure cancer. That might actually be like like you being able to torture someone and the fact that you have to be a little bit crazy in order to do that. That itself might be the cure. Right. Or, or the serum. Um, so, like, if you torture someone to death. And you're and you don't go crazy in the process that, you know, that melanoma might go away. That little skin bump might just go away by the next morning. Dude, that's insane. That is nuts. Imagine that. Oh, these sick fucks. And and I mean, if you go, if you take that to its logical conclusion, it tracks. Because if you look at all throughout history, the ones that did these crazy child sacrifices and like sex magic and blood magic rituals, very... Uh, like almost never was it like the normal dude that has to go and like get his water from the river and bring it back to the house. It's like always the kings and the kingmakers and the hierophants, right? They're always yep. the ones that are bringing the baby up to the golden hands and putting it into the hands of the bull. And um, because they know the language, they know the culture, they know the ritual because they got to be that high up in society. Um, you know, if if you were actually working for your food, chances are you're selling your babies to the rich people that can't have them so that they can do the sacrifice for you, you know? Yep. Yep. Mm. Ah, 
dude it's so weird so weird all right i want to i want to switch gears and hear what you guys have to say about this because this whole fucking elon twitter thing is really like turning into a whole circus so first of all you got the twitter files dropping which is basically confirming what everyone knew was going on and if they did the same thing at facebook and instagram you'd find the same thing is that they you know targeted people shadow banned them blacklisted them prevented their stuff from being shared you know and that it went all the way up to the president of the united states and so elon's here to come save the day and you know <laughs> the bastion of free speech now he came out with a tweet this morning where he said uh, my pronouns are prosecute slash fauci well mm. of course then that triggered the fucking softies and you get uh good old uh what's his name scott kelly our our wonderful astronaut here and he goes elon please don't mock and promote hate toward an already marginalized and at risk of violence members of the lgbtq plus community they are real with real feelings furthermore dr fauci is a dedicated public servant i can't even say this without laughing whose sole motivation was saving lives and then Elon comes back and he says, I strongly disagree. Forcing your pronouns upon others when they didn't ask and implicit, implicitly ostracizing those who don't is neither good nor kind to anyone. As for Fauci, he lied to Congress and fu uh, funded gain-of-function research that killed millions of people. Not awesome, in my opinion. So, is that Mark Kelly? It says Scott Kelly, but is it Mark Kelly? The astronaut out of Arizona? The fucking senator? No, this is Scott Kelly. Who's Scott Kelly? Um, let's see. Because I swear that's Mark Kelly. It looks well, like that that blue check like mark, so you know he's legit. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's Mark Kelly. All right, let me stop sharing. Let me find out. Which is strange. Because I mean, let's let's not forget that Mark Kelly uh, tried to have his wife sacrificed here in my home city of Tucson, Arizona. Outside of a Safeway, she got shot in the fucking head. Well, there's an actual astronaut named Scott Kelly that uses that. Uh, he looks like Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah, that's him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what Mark Kelly looks like, too, and he's supposedly an astronaut. Did they send Phil Collins to outer space? <laughs> Not yet. That's very weird that these two dudes look the same and they have the same last name. Let's see. Yeah, because his is uh, Captain. I mean, you know Mark, how NASA is with Captain their twins, Mark bro. Kelly. <laughs> no shit, dude. So this what is... a fucking weird thing. Here, why? So let's check this out. This is pretty fucking weird. We're just stumbling on all kinds of weird rabbit holes. So this yeah, is Mark, Mark Kelly. This is Mark Kelly. Okay, and then let's go to. Let's see this fraud Scott Kelly here. I mean, that's the same guy. It's the same. Well, they're, twin. fucking... they're twins. I think they're they're former NASA twins. astronaut and retired Are they twins? Navy captain. They're, they're actual twins. And so it's okay. not even a joke. Like, you know how NASA and Nazis are about their <laughs> twins, bro. Like, dude, they fucking love twins. OK, yeah, because Mark Kelly, he's out of Arizona here and he's very strange. I mean, yeah, what Gabby the... Giffords, oh. they look into her story. That's his wife. And she got capped in the fucking face. At point blank range and somehow lived. 
Uh, and I think they were trying to do a gun buyback when she got shot. So, I mean, it's just like <laughs> there's a lot of irony in there. But yeah, and that that spurred a whole gun control narrative, right? Of course. Right. Never and then he goes on to become a fucking senator of a influential swing state. Yeah. After what? Walking around in the space station, supposedly for a year. Who the fuck knows, man? I mean, I mean what, what's the chance you get to become an astronaut at all? And then what's the chance that your twin brother also becomes an astronaut? <laughs> hey, they got the genetics for it, Thomas. Don't question it too much. Yeah, know? I mean, it, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like it, I think it was more like <laughs> NASA's like, who are the best set of twins we can find? So we've well, got a control group. And if you think about it, I mean, everyone on the Challenger must have had a twin because they're all still alive. <laughs> they they oh, look at that. The stream just went down. What happened? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> We're losing connection here. No, it's just, I mean, I, I think it's funny. The whole Elon thing, I think he's just like buttering people up. To oh, for get, sure, dude. To get him to put he, in a fucking, to, yeah, Elon's cool. Okay, I'll put a brain chip in. You know, like, I, I, I just don't see this guy coming with any pure motive here. Yeah, he's the like, hello, fellow kids meme come to life a little bit. Yeah, I, exactly. I, honestly, fellow I, teens. I lost I lost a little bit of of uh, respect. Not that there was a, a lot left, but I at least was hoping even at just the troll level, maybe not on like an actual personal legit level to be a free speech absolutionist, but I was hoping in like a troll way he would be an absolutionist, but day one it was like, oh, never mind. You know, I, this absolutionist stuff is a little bit trickier than I thought. Um, well, and it was all good until it touched the money, right? Once well, he made me some good money with Dogecoin. Well, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is with <laughs> with Twitter, what when he was selling all the blue checks, and then all of a right, sudden right. when that backfired. And what company was it that lost billions of dollars? Because they see uh, Lily. Yeah. yeah. So many. Yeah. So it was you insulin know, free now. Is what yeah. He said. <laughs> and then what? Well, what did he do in response? Then he started censoring people and, and, and hacking accounts. And, you know, and then he now we're back to you got to walk. Out. I mean, you can say more over there, but you still can't say anything. Well, the uh, Nate from the reality czars brought this up that the whole thing that they're doing there with that is to get like your biometric data with your online presence. So like me, if I want to say anything from uh, Instagram or Twitter or my social media handle of choice, it's verified 100% that it's me, like through my eye, through my fingerprint. Well, and what you know do you how think you send out drivers? What do you think they're doing with all this lens of shit? And all this AI, you know, AI right, recreate right. me as a digital avatar. All oh, that's dude. doing is just facial recognition and, and you know, feeding the system. Right, Not to force a segue, but when we start talking about the UFC stuff, I think that AI is going to be incorporated in the judging. And that's the goal. And yep. that's going to be real fucked up because then we're going to see that in football, basketball and, and other things. And what can you do? You can rig AI. Right? Oh, yeah. you Come can on, program yeah. AI. And that's why, and this is, you know, I will go to my grave with <laughs> minority this. minority report UFC edition. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, but, but the little marble why, comes down. Oh, Tito won. <laughs> this is why these these controllers have always had human officials, you know, right, because right. they are controllable in baseball for years. They've talked about robot umpires. It will never happen because mm. it's a lot harder to program the robots than it is to control the umpire and say, okay, guys, we need it to work out this way. And they can do it in a less obvious way. 
Uh, I, well, I well, just... this part too, we're, we're not actually even programming anymore. We're just saying here, here's like a million versions of what, what's wrong. And here's a million versions of what's right. And we're just like, you give me a, a sequence that is right compared to all those other options. So I think what happens is but like outside of the rigging, aside from someone hacking in and like uploading their own training data so that they win. But all of a sudden there's going to be these weird judgment calls whenever AI takes in. So we're talking about UFC. They might call around uh, as a winner for one fighter over the other, where every human that watched it would be like, you're crazy. You know, the, the yeah, but fighter that's... A completely won, but the AI saw something that no human sees that might actually indicate that that guy is going to win in like a future round. And that, but that's no different than today. I mean, after watching this weekend, there were rounds where you're, or you know, scores from the judges after the fight. You're looking at rounds and you're like, "How was that? Uh, uh, thirty twenty eight. You know, how do you get? How do you win by two points? So there were no knockdowns, nothing major. Like, how does he get? You know, two points for that round. And and there's still like. I remember boxing matches growing up as a kid where you're like, I mean, we'd pay for the pay-per-view, watch the whole thing. And then it would end up in like a draw or something. And you're like, that was fucking rigged. Well, and... I, th I think there's like a natural evolution that's going to happen here. So first you're going to have AI that's predicting the game ahead of time, which obviously they already do that and like betting and everything. But as that gets more sophisticated, then you're going to have, imagine going to the sports bar, right? And instead of the difference of like, oh, I checked this AI and it's just letting me know throughout the game, AI says this people are going to win or this team's going to win. But as like the technology advances, now there's going to be like a play-by-play -play of like, well, here's the AI version of what they thought this play was going to happen. And here's what actually happened. And just the AI being able to see what really happened and, you know, re-kind of calculate itself in the, the very shorter span, all of a sudden you might have an AI um, sort of like reenactment of a real-time game side-by-side -side where the exact same be events are happening. And then the next evolution from that is that the AI will be so accurate and know what's going to happen outside of those freak chances of human element that like you don't even have to play the game, right? You could just like figure out what AI says is going to win. And then see if they win. It's almost like if you go and get a scratch off ticket, you don't actually have to scratch all the little things off and compare them. You could just scratch <laughs> the barcode off at the bottom and have the dude scan it immediately, right? Like yep. that's the source of truth. So there's going to be like a transit and it's not going to be that extreme, but there's going to be a transition of like, you don't got to scratch all the things off and that you don't have to watch the whole three or five rounds of UFC. Like you just scratch the fucking barcode and they scan it. And it's like, okay, that guy won. It's mm. like a sports center version. Yeah, <laughs> or like, well, and, like and, an actual and, fantasy football will replace actual football, right? And then the actual football will be like the one that the bumpkins do, uh, where like the real official one's gonna be like NFT players crashing into each other. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the the problem with like UFC and AI judging is you could go out there and flail around, and if they're gonna count significant strikes, you can fake hit right i mean like you can you can sell that to a computer don't you think i mean you could just i don't think so no flail your hands around no because it's like there's no sense it, it senses it senses contact but there's no sensors that these dudes would be wearing in theory it, it's the it's the way the system works though it i mean generates... at this point lidar is so freaking cheap and lidar is essentially gives you a 3d rendering of whatever you're at and when i say cheap i mean like 
they could probably put it on your phone and not even charge any extra. It's just that people don't use it. Uh, but you could use LiDAR to know exactly if it made contact. You can use infrared um, the same way that you like check to see if your grill's hot, you know, from across the room with the little laser. You so can they can put that. on the gloves. You can you can see um, um, sort of like skin responsiveness. You can see if the vessels in their skin are constricted or if they're loose. You can tell how much sweat their their like elasticity. So like all of these things you can tell just from a camera. Like you don't have to have sensors wired up or anything fancy at this point. What is this? So this is CompuBox, and boxing has been using this for years for its all its stats. And what it does, I and that's what I was, I'm hoping to see if I could find a way to show how it actually works. But they, they can, you know, amass all these different stats between, you know, punches landed, jabs, connects, uh, you know, overall percentages of connections versus thrown, um, you know, rounds and things like that. So let me see if I can find if there's well, and how shitty is boxing now? Like it sucks if, if, if the UFC is going the way of boxing, which I mean, it seems like it will be an MMA as a whole. I mean, you have the PFL, which I'm not going to say that that was rigged this last time either, but that seemed very strange too. Yeah. I don't see anything on it, but yeah, that's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I see what you're saying though. It's very easy to deceive, com- you know, the computers in a sense, if you're, if you're just going to throw, how is it going to judge if you're actually making contact? But I'm, I'm well, it sure. seems like they're, they're trying to uh, just make it so that the judges are just completely incompetent. And it's possible when you have <laughs> it's not three, very hard, right? <laughs> but they are. They've always no. been because they're always on the take. I mean, it's been that way in boxing since judging has been going on. I don't know why MMA thinks it's any different, especially when MMA uses some boxing judges. But see, I don't think so. So, I mean, I don't know. Thomas, did you happen to watch UFC 282? No, it's it's been a while since I watched UFC. I used to be big into it, but not okay. The last well, years. I mean, it's possible if you get three people in the same room and they're going to watch the same fight and they're going to have three different takeaways, right? And that's what happened in the main event. Matt, I don't know if you have an opinion of of who won that main event um, with with Jan and Ankalaev. Um, I think Ankalaev won. See, I think Jan Blahovich won because he won. I think rounds one, two, and three. But even but- Jan said he thought Ankalaev won. Because he got fucking fucked up the last two rounds. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, the most influential podcaster, media personality on the planet, was sitting there telling Jan Blahovic right in front of his face on the on the stage that he should give up the belt. That's that's very influential in somebody that's humble, like this Polish dude, Jan Blahovic. And then and then you go to something that's like, a, you know, night and day different with the Patty Pimlet versus uh, Flash Gordon there. Dude, this it was clear who won that fight. And then and Dana the guys, came out afterwards and said that Flash gave it away. And dude, you know what? This was the first thing that I, the first little um, like compilation of uh, audio and video that I was going to do for my MMA show. He said that uh, Gordon had a shitty strategy coming in around three. Uh, he won rounds one and two, he thought, but he came out and gave up round three. You see Patty Pimlet saying that when he's talking with Anthony Smith, and Dominic Cruz, and then that chick, I, don't, I forget her name, he says that he took off round three. Yep. So he's saying the exact same thing that everyone is criticizing Gordon for, but he's saying that about himself. So yep. what the fuck are we talking about here? That doesn't make any sense. But um, yeah, man, I think, I think uh, there's human error in this stuff, and I think that that 
adds to the charm if that makes sense i think that it <laughs> it, it should not ever go to ai it would I've, be a i've shame. got a radical suggestion that i think solves this whole problem at least in the scope of ufc it doesn't solve it everywhere but that and if more there's judges? not a if there's not a freaking ko or tko then it's a freaking draw no matter how close you came ju- it's a draw Too, sorry you didn't knock him down he didn't get knocked out it's a draw I actually say it's a loss if it's not if it's not ending in a sub, a TKO, or a disqualification of some I mean, kind. Bar, it's bar a fight loss. rules, right? If, right? if you both walk away, even if you're both limping and he's limping more, it was still sort of a draw or a, a dual loss, right? Right. Dude. If me if me and Matt get in a fight on the street corner, I'm not gonna sit there and lay on top of Matt for 15 minutes and then someone comes and fucking separates us and, and say hey like, ryan you won he had he hit 63 percent you only got about 58 bro right if they yeah. want to make this a real fight you either get a win by finish or you lose that's that's what i've said too so yeah i'm glad that you said that i mean that, that's always been the number one rule in every single episode of the ultimate fighter right it's like don't leave it to the judges that's always yeah, right. the rule so always and if you watch that. If you watch the Dana White Contender Series, these people go out there and it's the easiest fucking uh, UFC-related thing to bet on because these kids are going out there and they're trying to get knockouts and they're trying to get finishes. So if someone's a better submission artist and someone's a striker, bet on the submission artist to get the fucking submission because he's going to go for it. He's not going to try and outpoint his way to win a UFC contract. He's going to get the finish. And it should be the same way in the UFC. I, I, I hope that they end up doing that. Because it'd be a lot fucking more entertaining and they would end up saving money because they wouldn't have to, you know, uh, rent out more time for, for pay-per-view. Well, I've, I've got another million dollar idea too. I'm going to fix soccer <laughs> in this country where you make the goal twice the size and you make the field half the size. Bam. That's a lot Fixed. more entertaining. It might actually make people watch that fucking lame ass sport. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, Not it probably America. still sucks. There's too many, there's too many distractions over here. It's well, ne- well they, they they had WWF and the NFL was XFL, so yep. maybe there could be like a UFC meets soccer of some kind. That'd I mean, be that'd cool. be cool if they could lay each other out. Yeah, if they weren't flopping around like dead fish, I'd watch. But I can't even watch it. I I saw a clip uh, of the World <laughs> Cup or something, so awesome. and the guy just falls over in the mid play and just lays on the ground. Like, how, how cool would it be if there was an American version of so- like of soccer, but it like really did? It was the opposite of that, where instead of getting bumped and you cry, you get bumped, and it's totally legal to go into like a fist fight. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I like hockey. your UFC idea. You combine hockey, UFC, and soccer. We got oh. something, dude. What do we call that? That's a sport right there. It's it's like if you call and and each player on the field gets three callouts per fifteen minutes, so there could be like several fights going on on the field at once. A little slocky, slocky, slocky FC. Yeah, it sounds like a little, slaughter hockey. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a little dirty and yeah, a little violent. Slaughter ball. That's it right there, dude. <laughs> Slaughterball. I, I don't think you're going to get the kids to be signing up for slaughterball. <laughs> and this is down in every other sport. Yeah, my kids' middle school just did a uh, age of seven to eight slaughterball. We're gonna <laughs> get we're gonna get junior involved. <laughs> that sounds dope, though. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, man, I can't imagine, especially now today in today's bubble world, dude. You oh, that's yeah. why I laugh even Thomas before when I was saying that lady that we were looking at with the cabbage patch. I mean, that video is, you know, 80s was the first one. Probably 90s was the, set, the the other one we watched. 
but she's saying, you know, is it a boy or is it a girl? And then she's like, oh, it's a boy. So he has to have a blue blanket. And it's like people today would just lose their mind over. Well, that's that's extra. Cre- I mean, you're, you're talking about like the woke people freaking out because they don't get to pick, you know, some weird like ballistic penis that looks like a duck or something. right? Yeah. But the other the other aspect of that, too, is still kind of creepy um, because it's like treating these things as as like living children. And me growing up in the 80s and 90s and going through the satanic panic, I can't not see those weird um, adoption cabbage patch videos and not think of like the McMartin false memory syndrome people that are like, show me on the doll uh, because yep. it's that same weird, <laughs> creepy vibe. <laughs> oh, Dude, the 80s was such a weird time. I, I mean, growing up there, it was so like innocent. But uh, now looking back, man, it was just torture. They were well, just... it was, dude, like the, the 80s, in my opinion, was the veil coming off a little bit because because everyone likes to talk about the, the golden age of like the 50s and the 60s. What you're really talking about is that sweet, sweet Nazi gold that we got to inherit and just had this like incredible economic boom because we didn't necessarily lose the war but we sure as uh or we, we didn't win the war but we sure as hell didn't lose it in that regard so mm. we got a lot of the spoils of war but really like all of that like there were serial killers there were satanic cults there was child abuse like everything that you know of today was still happening but it was behind the scenes and you could literally do some crazy shit and then go two counties over and just live your life and yep. that was such a normal thing that you could do. But now, as soon as the 80s kind of come around, um, now you've got like computer systems that are tracking you. It's kind of the dawn, like between the the late 60s and the early 80s, um, all of a sudden, like local police departments start hooking their systems into the FBI systems. And that only becomes more and more advanced through like the 90s, right? Because even in the 80s, you had a bunch of old uh, you know, technical curmudgeons that are like, you know, I'm still doing all my work on paper. I don't trust those damn computers, but those guys die off and the new blood comes in. And now all of a sudden you can pop someone's plate and look them up. And now you don't get to just jump a couple counties away. So that's sort of what happens in the eighties is that it seems like it's crazier because now all of a sudden everyone's getting tracked all the time yep. and you can keep tabs on everybody. Hmm. Yeah, and you're coming out of the 70s, too, which was just such a shitty period and chaotic that, you know, anything is better. And and then you start looking at things like, you know, everything they did with the the merchandising of everything, the movies, the TV, you know, it was that was really the era when they brought TV in heavy. I mean, it was TGI Friday and Saturday morning cartoons, and they were indoctrinating those kids. It's sad because even knowing how much programming and like my favorite cartoons were literally commercial, like 30 minute commercials that didn't even have a story. Someone came up with the product and then wrote G.I. Joe and He-Man wrote it. But but even knowing that I still look back with such fond nostalgia and I still love Snake Eyes and I still love Ninja Turtles and shit, even though I know that it was, you know, essentially representing everything we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say, Matt, it's it's really interesting that you bring up the 70s, because what was the decade before you had like the uh, psychedelics and you had all this crazy shit going on in the 60s? Uh, new forms of media being introduced with the TV and all that stuff. We see that same thing going on today, the social media, and then like the push for like 
high grade medical grade marijuana too. And that I, I say all the time, and I, I've you know recently gotten into smoking a lot too, and I have nothing against smoking weed, but dude, some of this shit that's out there is so strong for like someone that's trying to get into it. Uh, I see you right there. You know, I, I think it, it's it's fun to get into it, but at the same time, this is kind of psychedelic shit to a certain extent. I mean, if you're taking edibles and you're kind of new to it, and then well, you're also I, I don't know if it's new... psychedelic, right? But it's definitely making people docile, more docile, docile for sure. But I'm saying if you take like edibles, if you're like, hey, yeah, no, like, uh, you know, my older brother uh, smokes weed and I just turned 21. I'm going to go try and get some from the dispensary. And there's this new media format known as social media. It's relatively new. People don't really understand fully how it affects people. Um, it's the same recipe. It's new drugs and it's new uh, media. So it's the same thing that we see from the transition from the 60s, 70s, 80s. We're seeing this from the 2000s to the 2010s to the 2020s and then to the 2030s. We'll see how shit ends up there. But dude, I think people are going to be absolutely batshit crazy and fucking losers in the in the 2030s. It's going to be absolutely. I've got another analogy for you on this. Okay. There's an important dynamic that you're you're skipping over here between the psychedelic revolution in the 70s and 80s. And that's that the the floodgates kind of opened like all psychedelics were legal. And as long as you could get your hands on them, you were fine and you could use them all the way up until I think 1968, uh, which is when they made LSD illegal. And then in 1970, mescaline and like every other drug known to man all becomes illegal, like over the course of these two years. So they kind of unleashed this psychedelic uh fever across the entire nation between the years 1950 and 1968 so almost a full two decades uh, full two decades yeah, yeah. which is you know a third short of a full generation and then they straight up cold turkey the entire country and not yeah. just the united states but we force uh england we force australia new zealand they all have to Bye follow buys. suit yeah. with what we're doing with with the dea so that that element of of like okay yeah you're great you're you're on psychedelics you're maybe exploring new concepts of the brain nope now you're gonna go to jail for the rest of your life if you get caught with it so that like removing cold turkey um that has a, a huge traumatic impact not just on the individuals that were doing it but almost on like a national psyche and there's a there's an analogy here because like they're still illegal now, right? Um, aside from maybe marijuana, but and you're saying like marijuana's coming in, so maybe there's this new like marijuana revolution, kind of like the psychedelic revolution, right? But this time, that cold turkey, I would almost liken that to like how free and open and overwhelming the internet was between the 90s and the early 2000s, and now it's like you go on Google and if you don't get the result on the first page, you're never getting that thing that you're looking for because it's been so far filtered right. and like weeded out. And that's kind of this more subtle, but equally cold Turkey, like pulling the rug out from under you where I could have sworn that this was true 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But now when I look it up, everything I find is saying the exact opposite. It's sort of uh, analogous to like, Hey, you know, 20 years ago, I took this acid and I was able to open my mind, but now I can't get it anymore. And I don't know how to open my mind anymore. It's kind of has these, these, you know, I'm con contrived correlations a little bit. Well, you see the same thing with the clinical trials too. I mean, weed has been experimented on heavily lately, just like LSD was back then. So well, I think they're finding out that it's, it's way more helpful because it had been written off for so long as a literal schedule one, which means right absolutely no medicinal value when in fact like 
Like, not to sound like one of those like uh like super pro weed hippie guys. It's like, dude, weed <laughs> cures everything. But there is unbelievably overwhelming and compelling evidence that sure. um cannabinoids actually take up the receptors that COVID is supposed to be binding to. Um, so that if you can saturate your system with cannabinoids, you actually prevent COVID from binding to your receptors. And it makes it so that you can become more COVID resistant than well, nicotine a marijuana user. Nicotine, nicotine does do because they, they share a very similar kind of formula. It does the same thing. They bind to those G receptors. Right. So, yeah, no, I mean, dude, trust me, man. I'm I'm totally all like on board with the weed stuff. But the way I mean, you have George Soros investing in, in medical marijuana. You have in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, uh, the city north of me here in Tucson. They got popped because the government is getting their fucking dirty dicks into this stuff. They got popped for using so many pesticides in this medical grade marijuana. And so cancer patients are taking in like Monsanto drugs and shit while they're smoking their medical marijuana, getting their quote unquote medicine. But the government's getting involved and fucking it all up because that's what they do. Right. Like that's what the government does when they when they step in. So, I mean, it, it's just getting to that same point. It's unfortunate that we can't just police ourselves. And like, let's say I want to grow my own weed and like sell it right without the government getting their money, uh, getting their cut, the mob getting their cut. Because well, you don't really fucking... own that land that you grew it on. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? And those right. nutrients that got it. into the plant. Well, the government owns those nutrients. So, <laughs> right. So that's the problem. And the rainwater that helps it grow, yeah, dude. And it's yeah, it's, it's sad because when when you say it out loud, it sounds like you're you're being one of those like sovereign citizens and you're trying to avoid a ticket. But it's 100 percent true right like you might live in a municipality where they don't crack down on it but guaranteed there's places out there where people do get cracked down on they're not allowed to use their own rainwater and they're not allowed to plant uh their own crops because of just dumb legal red tape it's it's insane dude and again this and this winds all the way back to that exact same concept we were talking about when we first started of rockefeller medicine where the, the concept of rockefeller medicine is what causes someone to like want to isolate a chemical and bring it to market before anyone else can just for the commercial side effects of it. And not because you're trying to actively like find a cure for something or find um, like, like something that's going to improve something. It's literally just here's, there's 50 chemicals in this substance in front of me. Let me see which one of these has some kind of a commercial value to it. And then we'll figure out what that is later. Uh, you know, if people get cancer from it at first, but then they get super smart later, we'll figure that out in the process. And that's that mm -hmm. Rockefeller medicine system where it's like, if it doesn't come from a lab, then it means it's not standardized. And if it's not standardized, then we can't guarantee it. And if we can't guarantee it, then you're not allowed to have it. And, you know, ergo, 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 you're not allowed to uh, grow that plant in your backyard. It's kind of what it all amounts to. That's probably why you can't collect rainwater is because the government has been fucking creating rain with like the chemtrails and stuff. Right. right. Like <laughs> that's why you can't, you can't collect something that, that they create. So yeah, that's weird. Not man. enough fluoride content. So you're not allowed to drink that water without enough fluoride. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you see that with like the plants, like if, if Monsanto grows some plants next to a home garden and then those Monsanto plants pollinate the crops from that home garden, then now Monsanto owns the patent on those uh, or, or I should say the patent crossed over to the home garden. So now you're like you're growing some like intellectual property and now that's that's no longer cool. So I don't yeah. know. Dude. And, yeah. And even if you pay them to do it, you're basically just leasing um, the ability to put it on your land. And if your lease runs out, 
uh, like even the plants that you already grew, like you no longer own them because it's just like a card that the lease ran out on. Uh, hey, somebody cue the national anthem here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jeez, dude, I want to share this with you guys because I heard this on. Uh, uh, no, that's not what I want to share. I want uh, with I heard on Davies' podcast on the the Red Pill Cartel, and. They were talking, you know how when we had Operation Red Pill on, we were talking about, you know, I one of my biggest fears about praying was that my prayer wasn't going in the right person. It was being right, intercepted right. along the way, right? Because of word magic or something like that. Well, they brought up this point that there is a fallen angel who goes by the name of Gadriel. Well, and and supposedly it is he he's the wall of God, and what's interesting is is some would call him Satan, right? If you look here, it says uh, it's the forbidden name of the leader of the sorts uh, uh, sons of God. Some believe seduced Eve in paradise. In Christianity, his name has been replaced by Satan, but long before the name Satan was introduced, the story was told with Gadriel making lustful offer that showed the deep pleasures of the flesh to the very first woman. So I was looking at this guy's name and you you think you're like, okay, well, Godriel, if he's on earth, is that, you know, God, so to speak. And that, you know, you, you, you shorten the name and then you look at God real, well, real God, is that the real God of this realm, you know? And you're like, oh shit. Am I, when I say, when I'm praying to God, just in general, am I playing to this entity or, you know, when in reality I'm trying to pray to a creator it's just a real mind fuck. And when I saw, I heard this, Davey was talking about this uh, with with his guests. I was like, oh shit, man. Mm. Just Yeah, Davey's in... stepping up his content lately. He's doing a good job. Oh, uh, he's been doing some... great. This yeah. sounds like the, the male counterpart to Lilith, where Lilith was the first wife of Adam. Um, and she was, she's like the, the prototype of the succubus, right? And before... Adam and Eve uh, were together. It was Adam and Lilith, but Lilith was not able to make human babies. And that's why Eve even had to be created. And and all the babies that Lilith made with Adam, um, they all ended up becoming monsters and demons. And those are supposed to be like the monsters and demons that exist today. And the, mm-hmm. and the whole time that uh, God was essentially waiting on Adam or Adam was waiting on God to make Eve, um, every time that adam had a nocturnal emission that actually represented lilith creating these like evil demons and spirits to go out into the world um it, and and they would they would kill them right the humans would kill these demons and spirits so um so they they basically made a pact with god and the pact was that lilith in exchange was allowed to kill the same amount of human babies that her own children died each year and this actually gives birth to this entire um sort of like conspiracy and ritual of child sacrifice it was it was lilith taking those babies away in exchange for that original pact with god Mm. and what's crazy about that thomas is i don't know if you remember back in the 90s and early 2000s there was this big all-female uh tour music tour that would go on it was the lilith fair (laughs) yeah it's like, holy shit, man. They've been playing with us for so long and people don't know. We've just been playing into their rituals over and over again. Do you think that the when they when they set those up, were, were like the pussycat dolls involved with that Lilith, Lilith fair and no. stuff? Or like, 
No, it was way before them. Really? Okay. So like, I you wonder if if they were like, if they're just trying to fuck with the Christians, or do you think that that there's something? <laughs> well, well, Lilith woman. represented a defiant woman. She was one yeah, that wasn't it was mainly be lesbian Adam, and yeah, <laughs> it, it was like like Lilith essentially was uh like sexually free, like had her yeah. own say on how, when, and why. And that would like she was too kinky essentially. God was like, "Nah, Lilith is too kinky for you. We need to make a new chick. We're gonna take him out of your uh, out of your rib next time because that way we won't have all these like unknowns. Like I know, like Adam's good to go. Like you're fine. You don't got schizophrenia. So if I can, you know, clone a part of you to make the next person, then I know that I've got like this predictable quantity. So that's mm. essentially. It's I don't think it's like an fu to Christians as much as it's that prototypal." jezebelian sort of you know like free woman spirit yeah i'm with you on that isn't that free woman spirit kind of like an fu to christians though or no i mean got kicked out but but they also begged her to come back in and essentially they let her kill human babies in exchange so so i I think that like this is i got a heretical point of view on this one but it's sort of like that same as the book of judas when they found book of judas it changed the perspective of like, here's this asshole that gave up Jesus. Um, therefore, he's like the biggest dick in, in history, right? History, he's the yeah. Benedict Arnold of history. But if you read the book of Judas, it's actually saying that he was like the one that believed the most in, in Jesus. And he had the, the strongest faith because he had the hardest job of having to turn in um, the person that he knew was the son of God and that that was his role to play. And that if he didn't play that role, then Jesus wouldn't get crucified and then Jesus gets crucified. Then he doesn't die for the sins. So he realized that he has to be like history's biggest bad guy of all time in order to be the catalyst for sins being forgiven. So in that context, right, he's like the good guy of the story instead of the bad guy. It's like the, one of those Disney where they like redo Cruella DeVille and they make her the good, the good person. Um, But I think there could be an aspect to that of Lilith uh, just the same, right? Where like, you have to have that bad in order to represent that good. Now that might just be the the evil pagan, you know, fucking uh, like uh, version of me. But I, I really do think that there's like an element to that. Like every good story needs an antagonist. Well, it's a yin and yang, right? It's it's the it's the black, dark, and light to everything. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It's interesting to think about that kind of shit. It's dark. But that's what that, that that whole Godriel thing, man, that's what scares the shit out of me is that I'm trying to do the right thing. But because I'm ignorant in my approach, it's going n- misdirection. And next thing I know, I'm praying to Satan's partner in crime. <laughs> well, and that's why I mean, as long as I, I feel like the, the whole idea of prayer, you know, when do you pray? Uh, most people pray when they want something or when they're hurting for something, most people don't just wake up in the morning and pray and say like, Hey God, thank you for allowing me to wake up this morning or, or whatever. Or like when something good happens, people don't say, God, thank you for this, blah, blah, blah. Most people are praying when they're in a time of need. And I feel like that might kind of invoke some sort of emotion and yeah, and a little desperation kind of, almost. Yeah. And then maybe that's when you're reaching out to some of these things like that Godriel or whatever that is, you know, reaching out to something lower instead of, uh, you know, finding your time to try and connect and feel like a good energy when you reach out to some entity. I don't know. But yeah, dude, usually when people are praying, they're scared. 
Oh yeah, no, I I started now like I, I I'm going off the rails, but I I started buying like different incense and stuff like that that I'll <laughs> burn beforehand just so I'm setting an intention and I'm not doing what you're saying, right? Right? I'm not rushing into it like I I need something right now. I have to get this in. It's like no, we're gonna do this. We're gonna go through. We're gonna set an intention here and then set the time aside to to actually put our intention forward. Well, Let me I was see. gonna say you're you're tapping into like some of the original reasons that the Bible as we know it was even kind of written, uh, because you had these people that that came from the desert that had just had like a really rough time for a long period of time uh after they leave Egypt, right? So they have a completely different nomadic um they're they're basically like shepherds and they they find these Phoenicians um in basically Canaan and elsewhere. And it's a completely different culture because these dudes haven't been wandering out in the desert as shepherds. They've been agriculture and farmers, and all they got to do is pray to the rain gods, that same rain god that they're sacrificing babies to, right? The sacred uh, bull gods. Um, like, like this is their culture, and and what becomes dangerous is that as these these people that have been going through the desert for all this time that are shepherds bump up into this new culture they're like damn these dudes got like money and and food for days and all they gotta do is throw a few babies in the mouth of this big bull statue every once in a while and they don't have to do anything they don't have to starve to death they don't have to go through the deserts they can just like keep living life you know they keep living their best life and the uh like sort of the spiritual leaders of these like shepherd peoples realize like oh crap like these other guys sound like they've got a better deal than we do because they're re- yielding much better results. So in order to prevent their people from hopping over to that team, they kind of just write down everything that those people are doing. They say, you're not allowed to do that. And that <laughs> includes like no adultery, uh, no magic, no sacrifice, like almost every one of the 10 commandments um, kind of gets reflected in the things that this, this rival society was doing. So it's just like anything those guys in Shelbyville are doing, like we're not allowed to do that in Springfield. Oh my God, that's amazing, dude! I found this right here in this uh, encyclopedia that I have. You know that weird, like occult, esoteric encyclopedia, and this is about incense. And it's interesting what they say about it. It's supposedly like you can use incense for either good or bad. Um, it's a Latin word for fire, and supposedly. They say that like spirits will attach themselves to smoke. And then when you breathe in the smoke, spirits are entering your body. So it's a weird thing. Like, it's strange. I I don't know if if it makes a difference if you're trying to like think of a certain thing. Um, But yeah, I guess in Christianity, (laughs) incense was first used in burials as a symbol of purity that would drive away demons and carry the soul up to heaven. However, it's uh, it's soon expanded, and today incense has a prominent part to play in rites of all kinds, especially within Roman Catholic Church and the High Church of England. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, idea. I've never used uh, incense like that, but it's interesting that 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 seems to work for you, Matt. What happens when you rip a really bad fart, though? Is that like <laughs> letting demons out into the atmosphere? <laughs> I mean, it seems like, and I don't know if you've seen Scary Movie Three. <laughs> that beginning scene, he's like, uh, he's shitting out a demon. Um, but that's a, it's a real thing. I don't know, man. Yeah, it says here too, the tower of smoke that rises up from the incense is symbolic of the Axis Mundi, which I'm not sure what that is. I'm sure you do, Thomas, or uh, the Thomas. Axis of the world. It's like yeah, the it's... axis that the world spins on. 
Okay. But that assumes um, it's a globe. Right. Well, hey, let's not get into that. <laughs> um, practitioners of the ceremonial magic might use incense so that disembodied entities such as uh, elementals or other spirits might use the smoke to make themselves manifest. Kind of interesting, right? Th there's another interesting part of this, too, because um, when you talk about it in the Roman Catholic Church and in the church in general, if you if you like transport yourself back to that time period, right? And it's we're not in 2023 um, or 2022. I'm in the future right now. But if you think back to like the Middle Ages and you imagine you're going to go into this cathedral, it might be the only time in your normally mundane life where you don't leave like a five mile radius. The only time you're going to see certain colors, like you're never going to see those like crazy stained glass colors of purple and orange um, and green the same way that you're going to see anywhere else in nature. And you add into that all these weird incense smells that you're also never going to smell outside of this church. So basically entering entering like an actual church at this time with incense and stained glass windows and acoustics um, that you never hear anywhere outside this building, it literally transports you to a completely different dimension where you're hearing, seeing, and smelling frequencies that do not exist in any other aspect of your life. And it's like a complete mind, you know, mind trance so that when you enter that realm, it really does feel like you're, you're getting some kind of communion with God. And that's sort of what the preachers would kind of capitalize on, right? They're like, these dudes are coming in here, immediately becoming hypnotized and getting just kind of like starstruck. And I could just say anything and they eat it up because like their senses are so overwhelmed because they've never seen this amount of colors and smells and sights before. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to to like relate to that because like as i'm looking at you guys right i've got like tv screens and i've got like every color like 65 million colors uh, blasting at me so it's a foreign concept to me but to this farmer that just knows like pale shades of brown and gray and green from the plants and then he goes and sees these crazy light and laser shows in the 1500s it's like a completely different world mm. yeah that's some crazy crazy stuff i don't know I'm 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 into this because I think there's something about it. There's something magical about that time. And I think we've been disconnected from the magic over time. And we've been pushed into this more synthetic world where, you know, going back to that versus the natural world, where I think that's where the magic is possible. When you're connected with nature, you're con connected with the elements, you know, everything is is flowing the way it should. And uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. Can we get back there? Who knows? That's when the Jesuits come about too, right? In the 1500s. I mean, that's when they kind of tried to... Mid-15s, yep. Yeah, when they tried to kind of like, you know, keep keep the narrative away from a lot of people, it seems, and hijack the narrative too. So. Oh, big time. And everywhere across the board. You know, yeah. it wasn't just one area. They were hijacking everything. And they had the means to do it, right? And if you're, sure. you're thinking about it, right, they had the CNN of their time with the Catholic church and its outposts. So if they wanted to put news out, well, they just put those, you know, those priests to work, got them writing. They'd write up the manuscripts, get it out to whoever they had to get it out to. And there was, you know, your history, there was your record. And yeah, they had the was, CNN, the time, the TikTok, yeah, it was, it the was, fucking and Instagram. There was nobody to fact check them, right? They didn't yeah. have these what? great fact checkers like we have today. They if, have I can keep if I can keep stressing this analogy too, that I would almost say that like, Elon Musk is the Adam Weissop of the Jesuits, right? Where like there's <laughs> this big CNN Twitter yes. information machine that's ruled for 200 years 
and then this dude kind of like sneaks in and infiltrates it and takes over and turns it into his own thing which becomes like the same big bad machine but just for the other team for like the enlightenment team yeah just different uniform yeah yep. <laughs> well it's bad because he's fucking autistic or whatever you know it's the worst thing it's the he's the worst person that, yeah well yeah, yeah sorry yeah same thing right i mean it's come a spectrum on, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's a little off but yeah it's uh it's strange man we see ourselves in a really interesting time it seems like it's like the 1500s like you mentioned the 1800s and then like the 1930s all in one that we're seeing ourselves in right now oh yeah we're seeing it's like that culmination it's kind of a a a smorgasbord of everything that's happened over the last couple hundred years is is showing its fruits right now a cornucopia of chaos put that on a fucking t-shirt yeah it's better than your cornucopia and smoke it (laughs) uh well guys this has been a great conversation thomas thank you so much rye thank you so much uh thomas tell everybody where they can find you oh as always man paranoidamerican.com uh i've got more books on the site than i've ever had before in history and starting next year it's just gonna be like non-stop release after release after release so the latest one right now you can check on amazon it's called modern american lovecraft it's a coloring book there's another one called american cryptids coloring book and uh everything else yeah paranoidamerican.com you can get some of those sweet stickers that matt was talking about too yeah those are great man i love them he's got what do you got you have uh the world fair we have the reporter the reporter is one of my favorites um the reptilian swimsuit model yeah so so i've got a series called paranoid american pinups which i'll I'll, i'm working on like some some nice little pint glasses and stuff i just got to get the right printer uh but yeah i've got like a reptilian the reporter you're talking about is actually the fake moon landing chick she's like holding a little fake moon up um i've got a one called uh worshipful master which is like a strip tease um master mason with like the the trowel (laughs) Um, and then I've got a, a set that was all made by Bags Draws. So it's got a Bohemian Grove playset kind of parody little sticker. There's the World's Fair, um, the one that you like, the Tartarian one. Uh, there's oh, that's, a Bohemian those are bags. Grove. Those are all, yeah, Bags did those for Oh, me. dude, I love their work. It's so good. They did Joe and Jen's logo. They've done a bunch of work for, oh, it's so great. He's been prolific, bro. Like at, at this point, I think he's made art for, almost every podcast that i listen to yep yeah he's awesome oh well thomas thank you my man a pleasure as always yeah people go get some stickers go get some books thomas does great work go check it out and rye what do you got going just the same old stuff man nothing new over here just uh you know switching up the uh online store a little bit and that's about it dude so uh Thanks for another fun Monday night chat. What's going on over there? And uh, a little preview for next week. Our our guest next week had a clean sweep on his UFC bets this weekend. Really? Yeah. He even said it was going to be a draw in the main event. I don't. No, no, I don't. He didn't bet every. Oh, okay. What he bet on, he won. Hit. Yeah. Interesting. I was going to say if he hit a draw in the main event and a hit. I mean, take all my money, sir. Yeah, no, that's some that's some. You have that AI. Yeah, yeah, no shit. If, if you he, know if he one of the that. trainers at that point, or one of the uh, people judges. Yeah, if he would have called that, I would have just. Uh, I, I mean, my my bank account is yours at that point. Yeah, so. 
That's why. No, so I'm interested to, but yeah, I dude, I've been doing the cabbage patch orphan train incubator baby thing lately. It's wild. Well, I mean, you you talk about these orphan trains and incubator babies, bro, and and again, like I'm seeing the in the early 19 through 1300s, what they wanted were babies and young kids to do these tests on. And if you've got these these little cabbage patch babies popping off trains with no paperwork. I mean, they're in and out and no one knows the difference and their names don't get recorded uh, anywhere. Like, like on a whole different tangent, you guys have ever heard of the Oneida community, which was in upstate New York. Upstate New York, like, yeah. So so the Oneida community had a very similar issue. Not that they had orphan trains and like eugenics programs. Well, actually it was kind of a eugenics program. It was eugenics. Um, but, but also what happened is that in this tightly knit community, they didn't really maintain any records. Um, so like two or three generations goes by and they don't, they don't write down the baby's name when it's born or when it was born or the dates or anything. So there's actually like these, you know, large communities of, and families that have no history and no family history. They don't know who their parents were or what any kind of genetic disease they might be predisposed to. And even if they go back and look at like old diaries and books, everyone was just like a child of the tribe. And that's kind of, you know, they just get lost to obscurity. It's like if you never had a social security uh, card, you know, and you're the, the tree falls in the forest and no one's around to, to check its social security card that it ever exists. It's kind of yeah. like, Oh, yeah. And then that's the rumor that goes around is that there's these underground bases where they have, you know, these unidentified children and they're able to do what they need to with them, experiments, whatever. Well, And the, the tail end of the Victorian era, right, where like royals would have these deformed children and just lock them in the basement and not tell anyone about them. So like yep. they kind of exist, but not in the public eye. So therefore they don't actually exist until a hundred years later when someone writes a blog post about it and it's like check out the retarded babies of the royal family and it's like how shocking is that well it's not that shocking uh because you know if it were 500 years prior they would have just sacrificed them and counted it off as a loss you know yeah, supposedly that's, that's going on with uh kylie jenner and and travis scott's other child too like it's like, like a keeping a, them in the attic yeah, supposedly it's like a deformed, uh, like kind of fucked up kid, and and it's not really out there for everybody to see. Supposedly, I don't really pay attention to that. Kim does though, so it, if you want, if you want any silver lining on child sacrifice, it really is that there are some <laughs> practical and rational roots to the origins of it, and it's because you, if you had a kid and it was you know before science existed, and the kid just won't stop crying, and it's got some kind of, you know, deformed something happening with it, to where it can't sleep, and it can't eat, like, the easiest thing is to kill it, so they, they kind of build this culture around making it socially acceptable to kill your kids that have developmental problems in the form of child sacrifice, so it, it's two birds with one stone, like, I get to get rid of this kid that won't stop crying, and it's never gonna grow up and live a normal, healthy life anyway, and I get rain to come next season because I'm giving it up to the cow god. <laughs> yeah, you get rid of the wow. burden and you get the benefit of the good grace of God. Like, it's it's kind of how the witch the witch trials work too. Not, but not is the Salem Thomas, witch trials, but is, the old is that any different than the mentality today of the left that you know celebrates abortion? 
You know, they're it's, not. It's they're, not because now you're not sacrificing the kid for rain. You're sacrificing it for stem cells and research and advance. Right. It's it's the and same Pepsi equation. Cola. Right? Yeah. It, right. Now you're just doing it on like a computer instead of an, an abacus, but it's the yeah. exact same equation. It's the same shit. And that's what I try and tell people. I'm like, you don't understand this Babylonian death cult is still doing the same shit. It's just in a different uniform. Now they do it in a clinical setting instead of doing it out in the middle of town in front of some statue. Well, and I was mentioning too those Phoenicians when they're sacrificing the Baal and Moloch and and everything. Again, like they are like they don't necessarily go through these long droughts and they didn't have this long sort of um, history of trauma the same as the shepherds did. So so literally they're sacrificing their kids for for actual wealth. Not just, you know, please help us not starve. It's like, dude, I'm living the life and I want to keep living the life. So it very much has a correlation to modern day more so than you would think. Dude, that's so wild, man. I could talk about this for hours. This is (laughs) the whole thing is just so twisted, especially having a child now. Like I see it from a whole different perspective and um, it just, dude, it blows my mind. And I try to bring it you know, bring it forward to as many people as possible. You know, my ways have greatly improved over time where I know who to bring it forward to and who not to, but dropping subtle hints here and there to try and get people to see (laughs) the reality of it. It's like, you don't show up to the COVID meeting with, uh, with all your books from. Yeah. No, no, not your John Robinson books. They're not really too receptive. So (laughs) yeah, no, I prefer the one-on-one setting where you can kind of judge and feel the other person out. You kind of corner them in a parking lot and they don't have an escape. Yeah. You know, or yeah, your kids, your kids sporting event where, you know, you got them for an hour and they can't go anywhere. So you just (laughs) pin them in and chew their ear off. Yeah. All right, guys. This has been great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Go check out Thomas' stuff at Paranoid American. Go check out Ryan's stuff over at Dangerous World. You can find all my stuff at on Instagram or over at patreon.com slash the great deception podcast. Everybody stay strong. Question everything. Mm-hmm.